Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Make up your bed. It's time to have a wife. How many people here tonight need to make a decision about going home and beginning to just be a little more tenacious about not letting the devil walk all over you? Come on. Man, I just might get excited if I stay up here long enough tonight. You are accepted. Close your eyes and swallow this. God loves you unconditionally. He is not going to love you anymore when you behave better. God, God will never love you any more than he does at this moment right now because he already loves you with a perfect love. God loves you. Even though my mother and my father have forsaken me, the Lord will take me up and adopt me as his own child. Nobody in here is an orphan. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Amen? Sons and daughters of the Most High God. And I think sometimes it's how we see ourselves. If you see yourself as broken, if you see yourself as an orphan, then you're always going to be that. And I want to tell you something. If you're still in the pit, I know exactly how you feel, but I'm telling you, this is your night to come out. When Jesus walked up to the tomb of Lazarus, he said, come out. When, king, when the king went and opened the door of the fiery furnace, and he saw not three men in there that went in, but he saw four, because Jesus is always with you in your fiery furnace, he said, come out. And when they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. And I'm telling you right now, it's time for you to come out. It's time for you to stop living like Jesus never died for you and start acting like the unbelievable, amazing human being that you are. Come on, give God a praise. If you want your soul to be healed, you have to receive God's forgiveness, and that means that you have to forgive yourself. Now, obviously, we can't forgive ourselves for our sins, but when we receive God's forgiveness, receiving it means that you take it and you let it go and in essence, you forgive yourself. Don't go, the Bible says when he forgives us, he forgets our sins, and he removes them as far as the east is from the west. You don't need to sit around and think about all the things that you did that were wrong. One of the things that came up several times today was, how do I get rid of this regret? How do I get rid of this regret? 
And, you know, I talk a lot about regret because my father, bless his heart, I mean, he's gone home, and I'm happy to say with the Lord now, but he was 83 before he gave his life to Christ. And he was mean and hateful and abusive. And, you know, when he died, nobody really cared because he never really did anything for anybody. We took care of him because we felt like it was what God wanted us to do. And that ended up being a witness to him, and he did receive Christ, I think, as a result of seeing God's unconditional love. But all he died. All he had laying on his hospital bed was regret. Regret. That's one of the reasons why I just wrote that book, Seize the Day. I'll tell you what, when I get to the end of my life, I want something to be proud of. I don't want to look back and just have nothing but regrets. I want to say, man, Jesus, we had quite a journey, and I'm so grateful for everything that you did in my life. I'm begging you tonight, don't live with regret. Don't park at the point of your pain. Let it go. I don't care if you did it 50 years ago or 10 years ago or 5 years ago or this morning or on your way to this conference. Ask God to forgive you and let it go. Receive his forgiveness and forgive yourself and let it go. Point number three. And boy, here's the one that seems to get so hard for everybody. Completely forgive all the people that have hurt you. We have got so many angry people in the church. So many people that are mad at somebody. If it's not somebody from a long time ago, you're mad at the preacher because he didn't shake your hand on Sunday, or you're mad at the choir director because you didn't get in the choir, or, you know, whatever. All it does is just slam the door on what God wants to do in your life. Why do you want to stay mad at somebody that's out having a good time and don't even care that you're upset? That doesn't even make any sense. All you're doing is hurting yourself when you stay angry. You're not hurting them. All those years I hated my father, that didn't change him. That didn't make him want to repent or change him. Forgive people. You say, I want to, but I just can't. I just can't. Years ago, I said to God, why is it I see sincere people come and ask me to pray for them that they'll be able to forgive? And then two weeks later, they're back again asking me to pray for the same thing. I know these are good people. I know they love you. Back then, I was doing, like, different meet, meet, weekly meetings around town. And so, I, you know, I had a lot of the same people week after week. And they would come back, same thing, same thing, same thing. Same thing. And I knew they were sincere, and I didn't understand. I'm like, God, why, if they want to forgive, why is it they don't seem to be able to? And this is exactly what the Lord spoke to me. He said, because they don't do what I tell them to. Now, wait. What has God told us to do regarding forgiving our enemies? Pray for them. Come on, don't sit there and look so innocent. How many of you actually really sincerely pray for the people that have hurt you to be blessed? Yeah, well, we've got a few holy hands up, but not very many, let me tell you. You know why? Because the truth is you don't want them to be blessed. The Bible says that you bless and do not curse them. 
The blessed means to speak well of. The curse means to speak evil of. So that means you got to stop retelling everybody what they did to you over and over and over and over and over and over. you got to zip your lips. Pray for God to bless them. It is very hard to keep hating somebody that you're praying for every day. The best thing that you can do when you've got an enemy is send them presents. Oh, that went over, baby. I'll tell you the story. Somebody came to the office one day and they were all upset because they'd been in a local restaurant and were sitting at a table where somebody sitting in the booth beside them was cutting down us and our ministry. Well, the person doing the gossiping happened to be somebody that we did business with who made a lot of money off of the business that we gave them. Well, I wish they wouldn't have told me. You know, sometimes you just don't need to tell people stuff. But so now they told me, so now i got to try to deal with this thing. And I was spitting, popping mad. I mean, I was like, that's it. I will not do business with them again. That is not right for them to sit and gossip about me. I'm going to let them know that bad, 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 bad. And I went on like that. You know, you know how we are in our head making plans on how we're going to... Come on, you ever lay around and just make plans on I'm going to say and I'm going to do and I'm not going to do. And, and so I, it's like, like, I don't know, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm still thinking about what I'm going to do. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and he said, you know, really, you're not going to do any of that. And I said, well, what am I going to do? He said, you're going to do what you teach. You're going to send them a gift. Well, I wrote a book called Me and My Big Mouth, and I'm telling you what, I so desperately wanted to send them a copy of that. You don't know how bad I wanted to send them that. Oh, but we ended up sending them gift certificates to go out and eat and yada, yada, yada. But here's the thing. The minute laying in that bed that night, the minute, the instant that I made the decision to do what God had told me to do, the burden lifted off of me. My jo- I hadn't even done it yet, but because I knew I was going to do it, joy returned, and I could see the humor in the whole thing, how it defeats the devil when you turn around and you're good to somebody who mistreated you. Come on. Okay, now, you don't have to feel like praying for somebody to be blessed to pray for them. You do it in obedience to God. You don't have to feel like blessing your enemies, but you can do it in obedience to God. And it's perfectly fine if you say, you know, God, I don't feel like doing this, but I love you so much that I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. Because I believe that your word works. And so I'm just going to tell you right now, you are going to be living in this stupid, ugly pit the rest of your life if you don't make a decision that you are not going to live angry and you are going to start getting so good at forgiveness that you are going to give the devil a breakdown. Number four, no more self-pity. You know, no matter how bad you think you've got it, there's somebody else in this room right now tonight that's got it worse than you do. 
count your blessings. I mean that. I've been doing something the last week or so, week and a half. I don't know how hard I'll get after I do it a while, probably harder. But I'm writing down ten things every day that I'm thankful for in my journal. But I made a commitment that they had to be ten different things every day. They can't be the same thing. It's getting pretty interesting, but you'd be amazing. I mean, really just jaw-dropping amazed at all the things that we have to be thankful for if we would just actually stop for a minute and pay attention to them. It would so drive self-pity out of your life that it would have no way to even hope to get in. Number five. Ooh, I love this. I wish I had an hour and a half. Stop blaming other people for your problems. Stop blaming everybody else for your problems. Own your own junk. <laughs> Own it. I have a bad attitude. And my attitude belongs to me, and nobody can make me have one if I don't want to. Own it. Take responsibility for it. I'm having a lousy day. Well, I think it's your fault. Well, no, I can choose to have a good day if I want to. Nobody else can make you have a bad day if you really don't want to have a bad day. Here's the thing. What my dad did to me when I was a child in sexually abusing me was the reason why I had the problems I had. But I had to stop using that as an excuse to stay that way. Come on, hear me. That was the reason, but my, the reason now became an excuse to stay parked at the point of my pain. And so I had to stop blaming, start realizing that all painful, hurtful things come from the devil. He just finds somebody to work through. And I figured out how to get him back. And the way you get the devil back is by doing as much good as you can every day of your life to as many people as you can as long as you breathe. <laughs> Romans 12:21. We overcome evil with good. One of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible. That's why God says, bless your enemies. Pray for those who treat you cruelly. That's why it does no good to blame people who hurt you. The only reason why they hurt you is because somebody hurt them and they haven't had any healing in their life yet. Amen? Stay in the Word, 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 stay in the Word. Amen? You know, the Word, just like you might take an aspirin if you got a headache, there's something in the Word for everything that ails you. All you got to do is take it. You got a prescription that's got as many refills as you'll ever want. And you can't take too much. The Word of God is one thing you cannot overdose on. Be patient. Let the Holy Spirit lead. And help as many people as you can possibly help. Well, God does not want us to be broken and hurting. 
So learn to receive God's unconditional love and let it begin to heal you. It's one of the most important things that we can do. We take that step of receiving God's love and healing begins in our life. Today we're offering you a couple of wonderful resources. My book called Beauty for Ashes. That's definitely what God has given me in my life and he wants to give it to you. And then also some CDs and DVDs called Healing the Soul of a Woman. You know, women are wonderful and they have hurts that many people would not understand, but God understands everything, and he's the only one that knows how to fix us and reach every place where we're broken. So if you'll stay with us then, I'll be right back with a very important invitation for you. started when I applied for uh, medical school. Uh, you know, I was having such a difficulty, and, and I promised God that uh, if I needed it, I would... Uh, Give my profession for the service to his kingdom, and I guess uh, he remembered. <laughs> you know, hopefully that uh, we could we could talk to their faith also, and uh, bring them closer to the Father. And it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> well, I want to personally invite you to attend our upcoming 35th annual Love Life Women's Conference in St. Louis, September the 21st through the 23rd. Our guest speakers are Joel Osteen. Ruth Graham, and John Gray. And they're even going to let me minister a few times. Don't miss this incredible time of worship. Beverly from Louisiana attended last year's Women's Conference, and here's what she had to say. I attended the Love Life Women's Conference for the first time this year, and wow. Because I was attending by myself, I almost let fear stop me from coming. She said she knew that this was the start of a new beginning because on her first night of the conference, she accepted Christ into her heart as her Lord and Savior. I never imagined in my wildest dreams that all of the prayers I had prayed and questions I had been asking this year would be answered at your conference. The guilt and the shame I'd been carrying for so many years were finally gone, and I left feeling more free than I had felt in over 42 years. You know, you might just think, well, it's just a conference, you know, I'll go, or maybe I won't go, but you know what? God may have a lot more in store for you than what you can possibly imagine. So why not go ahead and register to come, even if you have to come by yourself, and trust God to do something monumental in your life. Thank you. The proceeding was paid for by the friends and partners of Joyce Meyer Ministries. You cannot blame and be blessed at the same time. You can play the blame game or you can be blessed, but you can't be both. On this edition of Catholic Theology, something God ordained about Christianity that it separates it from the other two religions. Do you want to know what that is and how that impacts the story of your faith? Stay with me for another edition of Catholic Theology. Introducing the Hillsong Team Box, an exclusive monthly subscription that delivers everything Hillsong directly to your door. Here's how it works. Each month, we'll send you the Hillsong Team Box full of exclusive resources at 50% off, free shipping in the U.S., and no hidden fees. A combination of worship, books, t-shirts, apparel, devotionals, and more. Join a group of people across the globe who are bringing the hope of Jesus to humanity. Visit hillsong.com forward slash team to join today. 
of incredible relief. And the night after Elijah was born, I was sitting with Holly in the hospital room because I was tired watching her um, produce a human being. And I was sitting there going, well, we got that over with. And we both kind of laughed. We both we both started laughing because we both knew <laughs> nothing could be further from the truth. That, that's over with. And I want to tell you now, about 11 years into being a parent, my worries about my children were just beginning when they were still inside their mother's body. I mean, I don't even have teenagers yet, so I, I don't even think I am qualified to speak on parental concern. Because anybody knows, if you stop and think about it, that having a baby is not a project. Raising children is a process. Right. I want you to think about those two words because they're, they're very key to where I want to focus today. Project and process. In so many ways, when I first started following Christ, I thought of it like a project was completed. That's how it was presented to me. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he will make you a new creation, and you'll have a new heart, and you'll be forgiven of your sin, and you'll be headed to heaven when you die. But what about while I live? Because I found out that although Christ gave me new desires, he didn't take the old ones completely away. He gave me the ability to choose. And walking with Christ is a process, not a project. See, the more you see your relationship with Christ or fulfilling his calling on your life or being a parent as a project, the more you're going to be disappointed and disillusioned as you, well, as you come face to face with the clash between your your goals and the grind. If I can talk about that for a moment, there is an interesting hashtag that you will see populating social media. And the hashtag goals has become somewhat of a cultural phenomenon. I don't know if you've seen this online. Have you seen this? People use it for everything. I'm sure you've seen this. The kids have been doing this for years now. Everything is goals. Everything is goals. So you, you may see a, a picture of of. Jay-Z and Beyonce, and, and, and you may see on the comment section, uh, uh, 10,000 people would say goals. It, it's a way of saying, like, yeah, right, I wish, if only my life could be like that. Goals. Everybody say goals. Goals. Are you a goal setter? Are, are you? Now, I did not ask if you were a goal reacher. That's a different thing. Because some of us are better at setting goals than we are at reaching goals. And there are entire industries formulated around this hypothesis that especially as Americans, we're we're much better at setting goals than reaching them. So health clubs bank on this every January. Goals. And because of the proliferation of this hashtag and what it means to culture, that, that is kind of an indictment that, that we find the, the most unrealistic view of reality we can find and then say, goals. Uh, this term pairs neatly with uh, relationship, relationship goals, squad goals, hair goals, pet goals, 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 goals. Project. If I if I could if I could be married to someone like that, 
goals. I think we even do it in the church sometimes. We have people that we silently think, if I could have their insight, if I could have their self-control. We've been talking a lot in this series of teachings about what makes you truly qualified. And we've been talking a lot about the Apostle Paul. I mean, if anybody was qualified, it would have been Paul from several vantage points. His giftedness made him qualified, but his background also gave him some pretty unique qualifications. When he's writing to the Philippian church from a prison cell, Philippians chapter 3, he talks about how he doesn't want to put confidence in the flesh. He doesn't want to just reach the goals that, that other people present as the object of perfection. And he's talking about some of his accomplishments in life in verse 4. He says that I myself have reasons for this kind of confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in other words, if anybody has the right to flash the goals that they've reached, it's Paul. And he lists a few of these. Some of them are the product of his birth and his background. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Goals. I'm of the people of Israel. Goals. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. This is a prestigious kingly line. Goals. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm at the top of my class. Goals. In regard to the law of Pharisee, this was a strict ruling council that Paul could claim right to by virtue of his study and his training. Goals. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Goals. You want to talk about goals? Look at Paul. He takes an interesting turn in verse 7. He says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, all of the, the, the goals that I had reached before Christ, I've given up those goals for a greater one. Maybe what we need in life is to not get better at reaching goals, but at setting the right ones to begin with. Because Paul said, I achieved all of that, and I did all of that, and, and now I consider it garbage, verse 8, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to be found in him, verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The basis of faith. What is that basis? Well, to examine that, we need to bring Peter over and compare him to Paul, because we live in a culture of comparison. So let's look at Peter. Peter, who was a fisherman. Peter, who was an unschooled, ordinary man. In fact, that's what the Bible gives us as a descriptor of Peter and John. That's the reason that people were, were so uh, blown away at the power of the early church, because when they compared their power to their pedigree, the two didn't seem to assimilate. Now you have Peter, who's a fisherman, who's going through and sweeping through the, the culture, uh, uh, not only the Jewish culture, but the culture of his time, and is performing great miracles. And you've got Paul, who's a great apostle, and you've got Peter, who's an unschooled, ordinary man. And the Bible says that both of them were greatly used by God. It's interesting, because Peter, as a Jew, would have been told all of his life to be more like Paul. But now Paul, who has reached all the goals that anybody would want to reach in a religious setting, is trying to become more like 
Peter. Paul is the, the epitome of the virtue that is esteemed, and Peter is the epitome of the kind of person that God can use. I brought it up only to say that sometimes you have a, a vision of a version of yourself that you believe God wants to use that is actually getting in the way of the very things that God put in you to use according to his purpose. Which brings up an interesting question. If it's true that Paul was becoming more like Peter instead of Peter becoming more like Paul, if Paul is saying all my qualifications, I had to put them aside so I could fulfill my calling based on the righteousness that comes through faith. And if Peter in an ordinary way is being used by God extraordinarily, what's stopping you? from reaching your goals. I I believe goals are good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against goals. Set them. Do it. Make it happen. Make it work for you. Set the goals. Fit into the genes. Eat the broccoli. Whatever. God is a God of goals. He didn't leave his disciples and say, you'll enjoy the planet. He said, no, make disciples. All the nations. Yeah. All the nations, that's a, that's a goal. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's a specific goal. Mm. God's a God of goals. He, 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 has, he has a goal for your life. He wants to conform you to the image of his Son. It's good to have goals. What's stopping you? Peter, an unschooled ordinary man, and John, an unschooled ordinary man, were greatly used by God, and Paul had to give up on the things that should have qualified him to be the person God called him to be and step away from them as his source of significance, yeah. what's stopping you? Maybe we break it down into three categories. Maybe there's a limitation that's stopping you from reaching the goal in your life. A limitation. Something that you can't do, don't have, never had, should have had should have received, could have been better at. Limitation like the man with the withered hand that Jesus healed in Mark chapter 3, where, where, where he, he couldn't have full function of his hand and it must have affected his employment and Jesus healed him on the Sabbath and the Pharisees didn't like that because they had limited their view of what God could do and when he could do it to the specific narrow frame and time and way of doing it. And when Jesus broke all of those rules, they didn't like it. But Jesus was determined Maybe it's intimidation that's keeping you from reaching your goal. The Bible says that as Peter and John went about doing miracles, and you can read this in Acts chapter 4, it's a fascinating account, when they healed a man who was unable to walk and was sitting at the gate called Beautiful at the entrance to the temple at the hour of prayer. When they healed him, the authorities responded by arresting Peter and John and telling them to speak no more in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John had their own thoughts about that. Peter and John said, we cannot stop speaking. We'd rather obey God than obey men. Yeah. But it can be intimidating, especially when you've lived your whole life one way to believe that you can actually become something else. It's intimidating to face the possibility of, of change and to believe that it can be possible for you little old you. You ever found out that other people sometimes believe things about you that you don't even believe about yourself and that it is easier for you to believe in someone else's potential than to believe in your own? 
in, intimidated, just scared that if I try, how would it look? And what if I fail? And what would they think? And what would they say? Maybe it's an expectation. Maybe, maybe it's the fact that you don't want to let anyone down. You know, sometimes it's easier to live beneath your potential than to take the risk that you're going to step out and sink. Yeah. I think it's interesting that Peter was always the one who was willing to do the unexpected thing, and the people who are not held hostage by their own expectations or the expectations of others are the ones who experience the miracle-working power of God in an unexpected way. So is it really the expectations of others? Is it really the intimidation of others? Is it really external limitations? Is that really what's stopping you from reaching your goal? Because this is what we tell ourselves, you know. If I had more, I'd do more. If I had more time, I'd do more good. If I had better genetics, I'd be in better shape. If I had, if I had, if I had. Well, Peter solves all of that. He says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto you. It's not what you don't have that keeps you from being who God has called you to be. And it's not what others don't want you to do. It's not the intimidation. I don't think it is because they nailed Jesus to a cross, but it's all right. That was the whole purpose he came for. Nobody can be against you that is greater than God for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's not the intimidation. And it's not the expectation. I think, I think beneath all of this is the lie. That, that's what's stopping you from reaching the goal, the, the goal that God has for you. What Paul calls the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 12, it's not that I have already obtained all this. I, I don't know Christ like I want to know Christ. I am not where I want to be. I am not a perfect specimen of spirituality. That's not the point. It's not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Even Paul was using the hashtag. How modern is Paul? How did he know? He said, it's not that I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that. Pay attention to this language. It's significant. I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Notice for Paul, this is personal. I'm not reaching for what Christ Jesus put in you. I'm not reaching for the expectations of others to be met. I'm not reaching to be pleasing in the eyes of others by my performance. I just want to fulfill the calling God has placed on my life, and I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I'm focused. So I forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead, and I press on toward the goal. Goal, one. One goal. I I might have many different outworkings of that goal, but they have a singular focus. Paul was able to focus his life and overcome because he had a singular focus on the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What what are your goals? It would be terrible 
to reach the goal, to realize that you reached the wrong goal. Right. You can reach, I see Adam in the Garden of Eden reaching for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's reaching and he hits it. Well, Eve gave it to him. It's not sexist, it's just biblical. I'm telling you how it says it in the Bible. And they got it and they knew the difference between good and evil. But they also lost their innocence and lost their place in paradise. The construction workers of the Tower of Babel, they, they built a great project. They were able to communicate together and work together. And because they did it, they were, able, they were able to build something massive. They were reaching to the heavens. But they were reaching to the heavens for the wrong reason. And anything that is built for the wrong reason can't be sustained. It didn't work because they, they reached the wrong goal. I guess I don't want to spend my ministry, I don't want to spend my life, I don't want to spend all the time that my kids have growing up in my house reaching for something that can't truly satisfy. Reaching the goal. Reaching. I wonder if we don't have the wrong idea of what the goal is. Maybe sometimes we put too much emphasis on the goal and not enough on the reach. And maybe that's why we feel unqualified. And maybe that's why we don't feel satisfied. Maybe that's why we silently hate ourselves because we haven't come further. Maybe, maybe that's why the way we talk to ourselves, we treat ourselves more like an enemy than a friend. But Paul says, I press toward the mark. In other words, here is a guy who has accomplished so much for God, and yet he's still pressing. Yeah. I haven't arrived yet. Really, Paul? If anybody has arrived at the place, no, no, no. I haven't reached my goal because reaching is the goal. Reaching is the goal. God doesn't desire for me to get to a place in my life where I can say, I have arrived. You think you're going to be more perfect than Paul? Give it up. You think you're going to progress past the most prolific philosophical mind and preaching voice in the entirety of time since Jesus Christ himself ascended to heaven? Give it up. If he was still reaching, you're going to still be reaching. Why is that exactly what God wants? It's just that you would continue to reach for him. That you would continue to say, God, I want more of you. God, I'm not as patient as I want to be yet. But I, I thank you for this win. God, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as holy as I want to be yet, but I thank you that I am making progress. What if all along you thought that the goal was to get somewhere? And from God's vantage point, the goal is just that you keep going. It's a process, not a project. It's not a goal to get there. It's a goal to be getting there. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you get so frustrated with yourself. feel like I should be further along by now. But keep reaching. Yeah. Keep reaching. And as you're reaching, you're being strengthened. And as you're strengthened, you keep reaching. Yeah. And this is God's process of change. And he invites you into it today. Yeah. Not that you would arrive at this place one day where you could finally announce, I'm there but where you can say with Paul, I have goals, 
but I'm enjoying this journey on the way to where I'm going. I thank God for where I am and who I'm becoming. So, Lord, we thank you today that you have called us to great things, but we no longer see greatness as a destination. We see it as a journey, and we thank you that you are shaping us and forming us. We thank you that the process is powerful. We're very excited, God, about all of the growth opportunities that are ahead of us. We thank you for all the ways that we haven't arrived yet. We thank you that as we continue to reach, you promised that if we would seek, you would be found. I pray that you would speak words of affirmation and encouragement for our next step today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, back in the day, my mom bought me a record player. I know you think I'm too young to know about a record player, but I know all about when when the vinyl would get scratched. And all of a sudden, the song you were listening to would just go back to the same spot over and over again. It could drive you crazy. I don't have a record player anymore, but that same thing happens in my mind. It happens with my thoughts. I get stuck on one thing, one area of my life where I can't get it together. It's crazy because... You know, inside of myself, I I feel like God has called me to be something and to do something. But here comes the same thought of why I can't or why I shouldn't or why God should pick somebody else. I I know you can relate to this definitely in your everyday life, and that's what this new series is all about. I want you to get this resource today. It won't stop you from feeling those things, but it will teach you what to do when the feelings come. So I want you to request your copy of the Unqualified series on DVD today. You're going to love this. It's a special, in-depth series, and it's going to change the way that you think, help you flip the script. It's going to help you combat the lies with the promises of God. So go online right now or call us to request the Unqualified series. Stick around to learn a little more about today's special offer. We all struggle with feelings of inadequacy, insufficiency, and incompetence. We doubt God could really use broken people like us to do the work he has called us to. But through the Unqualified series, you will learn that despite our flaws and imperfections, God is in the business of using unqualified people to do big things. Yeah, I'm unqualified. Yeah, I feel inadequate from time to time. Yeah, I'm not where I'm going to be. But I'm not where I used to be. Join the club. Club Unqualified. Club dysfunctional. Club I lose my mind sometimes. Club tempted. Club unsure. Club insecure. Club I'm not quite there yet. Club please be patient. I'm a work in progress. Join the club. Where is my unqualified club? The Unqualified series is an exclusive 13-episode DVD set that is for anyone that is frustrated with your failures or fed up with your weaknesses. It's about coming to terms with the good, the bad, and the unmentionable in your life and learning how to let God use you in spite of your mess. And for your gift of $130 or more, you will also receive the book that inspired the series, a bookmark to use as you read, and an unqualified USB that includes even more sermons, social share images, and devotionals. So call the number on your screen or visit us online right now to get your copy of the Unqualified series. You're in good company. Join the Unqualified Club today. Oh, what Savior is in his
There's something about getting low that causes God to give attention to bring you higher. Hi, I'm Paul. Almost 10 years ago, my dad, my hero, my pastor, passed away unexpectedly. He built a big church and left some pretty large shoes to fill. When he died, I didn't just lose my dad. I lost my faith. I lost my purpose and my future. But God showed up and restored my faith. And he gave me a message of hope to share with you. You're here on purpose. God's not finished with you yet. Your best days are right in front of you. And you have victory in your life because Jesus lives in you. Nebuchadnezzar has a moment with God, a transformational moment in his life that all of us have to go through, not just once, but multiple times. And watch what happens. In, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, so, he, so this is Nebuchadnezzar talking in the book of Daniel. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace with comfort and prosperity. In other words, he had everything he needed to be happy. He was at the top of the world. He was, in his own mind, the master of the universe. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace with comfort and prosperity, but one night I had a dream. This dream frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I laid in my bed. In this dream, he saw a tree growing big and tall and had lots of branches and fruit, and everything in the world lived under the tree. And then one day, a voice from heaven called out to, to the tree and said, Tree, you're getting ready to fall down. You will be cut down to the stump and the roots of your tree, and you will lose all your fruit, and your leaves will be scattered, and you will be remaining on the ground under the dew of heaven. For no one is greater than the Most High God. This voice of heaven was saying, Nebuchadnezzar, there's something about this tree that you need to know. There's something about this vision that, that is about you. Nebuchadnezzar went to all of his wise men, his astrologers. He said, what does this dream mean? Nobody could tell him what it meant except Daniel. And we get to verse 19, and he, he calls Daniel in, and he tells Daniel the dream. And he says, Daniel, what is this tree, and what does this dream mean? It says that this tree is going to fall, and for seven seasons of time, that this tree will remain down. But at some point, that stump, those roots, will start to bud again and grow again. Daniel looked at Nebuchadnezzar, and it says in the Bible that Daniel became white like a ghost. He was, he was overwhelmed by the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had told him. And Daniel looked at him, and he said, I wish this dream was about your enemies. I wish this dream was about someone that you hated, somebody else, someone further down in, in history. But, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 22, he says, that tree is you, and you're about to fall. Everything you've built, this massive empire, Babylon was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was incredible. At the center, the epicenter of Babylon, it was like New York City in its time. Nebuchadnezzar had constructed skyscraping buildings, and, and, and the amazing thing about it is he had found a way to build gardens on the top of these skyscrapers that would hang deep down and touch the, the bottom of the buildings. And so everybody marveled at the amazing intelligence and design and architect that Nebuchadnezzar had come up with, and he was about to lose all of it. Daniel looked at him and he said in verse 24, this is what the dream means, your majesty. What the Most High has declared will happen to the Lord, my King. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven seven periods of time. And in Babylon, 
They didn't have four seasons like we do, summer, winter, fall, spring. They only had two seasons, summer and winter. And so seven seasons would be three and a half years. He said, for seven seasons, you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. And once this time has passed, only will you change when you have learned that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back once you have learned that heaven rules. In other words, there's a time coming, Nebuchadnezzar, and if you don't learn it now, you're going to learn it soon. If you don't crush pride, pride is going to crush you. If you don't destroy pride, pride is going to destroy you. King Nebuchadnezzar, take my advice, verse 27, he said, please listen to me. Stop sinning. What was Daniel saying? He was saying, stop thinking so highly of yourself. Stop living with so much pride because pride is really the root of most sin. The reason why you do what you know you shouldn't do is because you think you know better than God. You think you can escape the consequences that other people walk through. You think you're going to uh, uh, beat the odds of getting away with sin and doing what you know you shouldn't do. There's pride in your heart. Daniel says, turn from it. Stop having that pride. Break from your wicked past. There's mercy. God has mercy, but you've got to turn. And he says, verse 28, all of these things happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Every part of the dream came to pass. Twelve months later, Nebuchadnezzar was taking a walk on his royal patio. He was looking at all of his buildings, and he said this, Look what I've built. Look what I've made. Isn't it amazing, this majestic city of Babylon, this royal residence that displays my splendor. And while the words were still on King Nebuchadnezzar's mouth, a voice called out from heaven. Listen to this. This, this should send chills down your spine. The voice from heaven says, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you, you, you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, 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 cow. Seven periods, you will learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. In that same hour, the judgment of God happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived in this beastly manner, and his hair was as long as eagle's feathers. His nails grew out like bird claws. Pride led to his downfall. Because when you think you can't develop pride, when you think that it's incapable for yourself to develop beastliness on the inside, a sense of uh, I deserve all the good things in my life. I've owed everything that's been in my life. I've built this empire. I've made myself successful. That's a good sign you've got pride in your heart. We can spot pride in other people, but it's so hard to spot pride in ourselves. You know, you can sniff it. You're like, man, Paul, that's, that's arrogance right there. But we don't see it in ourselves. We can point at it in our husband, point at it in your wife, point at it in your parents, in your kids, in your teacher, in another classmate, in one of the athletes on your sports team, one of the worship leaders, some other singer, some other person, some famous you know, celebrity. Oh, they're so prideful. But this message is for you today. This isn't for everyone else in your life. This is for me and for you to examine our hearts and say, God, if I developed pride, 
There's four things we can learn from this passage. And the first thing is God always sends warnings. The warnings of pride. God gave a dream, a vision to Nebuchadnezzar to wake him up and say, change while there's still time. Repent. The warnings of pride. God sent Daniel into his life, and God will send Daniels into your life to warn you. Pride comes before a fall. Maybe I'm a Daniel today that God's using to just say, hey, you need to change. You need to turn. There's pride in your heart. You don't see it. And it's going to be hard for you to see until you recognize there's some areas that are unsurrendered to God. Daniel was talking to Nebuchadnezzar, and he said, Nebuchadnezzar, there's still time. Isn't it crazy that it didn't happen for 12 months? I mean, look at that verse. In verse 28, all these things happened that Daniel said would happen. He warned them. 12 months later. Because while you're sleeping and thinking that you don't have to change and repent, Isaiah says there is a due time for the proud and the lofty to fall. God declared it. Don't think you can escape the consequences of pride. Don't you think that you can hide that sin and think, I can get away with this. God won't know. I can do what I want to do because I'm in control of my body. I'm in control of my future. I'm in control. God will send you the due consequences of pride if you refuse to repent. He'll give you time to repent. He'll warn you. Right? It's like those construction workers wearing the orange vest and warning you, bridge is out. Don't keep driving. Nebuchadnezzar's nose was too high in the air to see Daniel in the orange vest waving. You're headed towards the fall. Stop while you still can. And boom, Nebuchadnezzar fell. Just like the tree in his dream. God knows how to humble the proud and exalt the humble. He knows how to do it. And that's good news for those in this room that have humbled yourself because promotion is coming. But for those in this room that think that you know it all and you're always right and everyone else is wrong and you refuse to apologize to your wife even though you know you should, today's your day. Today's your day to crush pride before pride crushes you. When you say, it's my money, it's my money, it's my family, my kids, my stuff, my life, they offended me, they owed me an apology, cosmic plagiarism. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve hell. But the grace of Jesus Christ has intervened. And the healing from God gives us freedom. Does your passion for God seem to have dwindled? Or maybe you have a desire to step into a deeper walk with God, but don't know how to achieve it. Pastor Paul's new mini-book, Stepping Into Revival, teaches you how to have a personal revival in your faith, family, and with communities to prayer. In this book, you'll learn that personal revival reinvigorates the life of a believer and how community and relationships can be the entrance or catalyst to knowing God on a deeper level. Stepping into revival reveals the spiritual steps that bring an intimate relationship with God and the practical ways to implement those steps in your life. Step into that deeper relationship with God. Get your free copy today. It's our gift to you by calling 1-800-760-2360 or visit us online. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction. James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before God so that you will be lifted up. 
There's something about getting low that causes God to get attention to bring you higher. But when you try to get higher, it gets God's attention to bring you lower. Pride manifests itself in several different ways. And this is the second thing we see in this passage, the heart of pride. Pride carries an oldness. You owe me something. God, you owe me this. I deserve this. The heart of pride is constantly consumed with what I deserve. I deserve more. I deserve better. My wife should treat me better. My kids should respect me more. I should be more respected. I should be thanked at my work. I should be more appreciated. They don't appreciate me enough. I'm going to go work somewhere where they appreciate me more. Me, me, me. I, I, I. My, my, my. Want to talk about me. Want to talk about mine. Want to talk about me, myself, oh, my. <laughs> How many of y'all remember that country song? Y'all like, that was my jam. Repent. <laughs> There's something about pride, though, that just is considered so self-absorbed that it's hard to be thankful for anyone or anything. Nothing's a gift. And that's why when you get gifts, it's like you're not surprised. You don't react with the sense of, oh, thank you so much. You're like, cool. Pride. And everybody sees it but you. Because the gift is not good enough in your eyes. It should have been more. It should have been better. They should have done something more for you. They should have appreciated you more. They didn't say enough nice things about you. They didn't notice you when you walked in the room. They didn't shake your hand. Pastor forgot your name. Go find another church where he knows your name. Pride constantly gives these people entitlements to just keep on ruining their life and living with this miserable condition. You can have all the money in the world. Nebuchadnezzar had all the money that he could acquire, and he was losing sleep. Some of the wealthiest people in the world are miserable on the inside because they haven't surrendered to God. They want something bigger than this world. They're trying to make themselves bigger than they really are. And when you try to become bigger than you are, you end up becoming less than you were created to be. You become less than human. Like Nebuchadnezzar, you act like a beast. Pride just makes you look so beastly on the inside. And, and soon enough, it comes out on the outside. You know, I remember going to ORU, and the only job available was working as a janitor. And so I was working there, and I was picking up nachos for people, and I was frustrated because I felt like I was entitled to a better job. And so I would just be, you know, just talking under my breath as I'm picking up nachos, and people are looking at me like, who's the insane guy over there cleaning up nachos? Who's the Nebuchadnezzar hiding in the bleachers up there? And I'm back there, and I'm just like, I deserve better than this. And I... I I should have a better job than this, and I should be making more than $5 an hour, and, you know, all this stuff. And And I remember during that time, God gave me a song. I was reading the book of John, and I came across John 3.30, and the scripture was, I must decrease, he must increase. He must become more, and I must become less. This was John's words when all of his followers started leaving him and going to follow Jesus. And someone came up to John and they said, aren't you jealous? You're losing. Aren't you jealous? You're now second. You're no longer first. Everybody was coming to you to get baptized. Now they're leaving your ministry and they're going to Jesus. And John says, no, no, this is good. I must become less and he must become more. I must decrease and he must increase. It's not about me. It's not about me. And this song came out as I was reading that scripture and taking up notches and started singing this song, I must decrease, he must increase. Lord, I want more of you. 
And I wrote this song and put it on a CD, and I was excited. I submitted it to ORU Worship Team, and they said, we're making an album, and we're going to put your song on the album. It's going to be one of our top songs, and I was so excited. They said, but you're not going to sing it. Your friend Brad's going to sing it, because he's got a better voice than you. I went from being so excited to being so mad, because I knew Brad. We lived on the same dorm floor, and I was like, he's not better than me. He doesn't seem better than me. Pride is constantly jealous and comparing itself to everybody else. But by the way, if you have comparison problems, you have pride problems. When we are constantly comparing ourselves with other people, we're not thankful with who God created us to be. We don't recognize the gifts that God's given us. And we're not able to celebrate the gifts that God's given other people. And I was mad at Brad. And they said, well, Paul, you can stand the night that we record this live recording of your song. You can stand in the back of the choir bleachers, and we'll let you sing it. And I was like, okay. So I go back there. I remember, far right corner, baby center, past auditorium. Brad's in the center front. He's singing my song. And the song is, I must decrease, he must increase. But while he's singing it, I'm like, he must decrease. I must increase. Lord, I want more of me. <laughs> Because pride turns you into a beast. And you're crazy. And you know it. Because you're so self-absorbed. You're like, why is this still good, but it's so mean? Because God, isn't the amazing thing, when Nebuchadnezzar goes through this crazy, prideful surgery, where God literally rips pride out of his heart, at the end of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar thanks God for walking through this season of humiliation. He actually thanks God for going through the pain. Suffering will either harden your heart or humble your heart. But Nebuchadnezzar, it humbled him. And it made him broken. He goes, oh my Lord, thank you. I needed to go through this. I needed to become this beast so I could see what was really on the inside of me. This cancer that was eating away the enjoyment of my life. Where I thought it was all about me. But I realized it's all about you. I had to go through this to see it. The heart of pride is constantly at war with the heart of humility. Number three, the result of pride. The result of pride. Pride makes you less than who you were created to be. The more you carry on this attitude of, I don't need to apologize. I know what's best for me. I'm in control of my life. Pride says you're in control instead of God's in control. But who gave you that life? Who gave you those legs? Who gave you those eyes? Who gave you those ears? Who gave you the brain to have intellect? Who gave you the, the opportunities? Who placed you in the family that you were born into? The year that you were born, God gave you that skin color. God gave you that unique personality that you have. You are blessed because God put you on this earth for such a time as this. You don't own yourself. You are God's creation. Why didn't Nebuchadnezzar repent earlier? Why did it take seven seasons, three and a half years, for him to finally change? We don't know. All we know is during that time, he became like a beast, like an animal. And so we get to the fourth point. The fourth point is this, the healing from pride. There is a healing that only God can bring. How do you get healed of pride? How do you get set free from this beastly nature that the enemy tries to continue to build in your heart? Well, look what Nebuchadnezzar did. In verse 34, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up 
to heaven. Everybody say, look up. That's where your answer is at. When you think you control this life, it's cosmic plagiarism. You are telling God, the author, the source, the one who wrote and published your life, I control it. I own it. It'd be like me taking Cole Taylor's song, Fully Devoted, and telling you guys, it's my song. I wrote it. You guys would be like, wait a minute. We saw Cole's name on it. I don't care. I put my name on it. You're like, what? That's plagiarism. That's what you do with God, though. When you say, it's my money, it's my money, it's my family, my kids, my stuff, my life, they offended me. They owe me an apology. Cosmic plagiarism. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve hell. But the grace of Jesus Christ has intervened. And the healing from God gives us freedom. And I don't think there's a better illustration outside of the Bible than the story of Narnia where C.S. Lewis talks to us about what this healing looks like. He tells us about a little boy named Eustace who lived in Narnia. And Eustace had a proud heart. He became greedy. He wanted more and more. He fell asleep on the horn of a dragon. And Eustace wakes up, and C.S. Lewis is this, you know, imaginative author, all the, the chronicles of Narnia that he's written. And he says, when Eustace woke up from the dragon, he had become a dragon. He was clothed in dragon skin, and he was breathing fire. He hated himself. He hated how he looked. He began to scratch himself. I don't want to be like this. I don't want this. I, I want this. And he began to try to change himself and morph himself back into the boy that he knew he was supposed to be, but he couldn't do it. And so he had to come to the Christ-like figure, Aslan, the lion. Just like the beast needed someone from the outside to change him. True love, Aslan looks at Eustace and sees the dragon, but he sees past the dragon. He sees Eustace. And when Jesus looks at you, he sees past the pride. He sees past the sin, he sees past the pornography, he sees past the adultery, he sees past the greed, he sees past the cheating, the lying, the stealing, the ugliness of all of our hearts, the pharisaical religiosity, self-righteous mentality that we carry. And he says, I see you. I want to heal you. And Eustace says, I need you to undress me. I need you. I can't do it. I need you, God. I need you, Aslan. Aslan takes his paw, and he rips Eustace. And you think he's going to kill him, because he just claws Eustace, and he peels the dragon skin off of him until he's down to who he really is. There's Eustace, and he's crying. And he says, I thought you were going to kill me. I thought your claws would go right to my heart. What was C.S. Lewis saying? He was saying there's something that only God can do through the stripping away of pride that you think it's going to destroy you like Nebuchadnezzar, but he lets you be restored instead. He restores you. His kindness leads us to repentance. And sometimes we think his kindness is letting us get away with everything. But sometimes his kindness is leading us through something that's difficult and troubling. And it's in that moment that we come to him and say, God, thank you. You didn't cause this storm, but you sure know how to pull the pride out of my heart in the middle of this storm. You didn't bring this sickness, but you sure know how to bring me to my knees in humility to lean on you in the midst of this pain. And Nebuchadnezzar gets up from this, and God speaks through Nebuchadnezzar. He said, I praise and I worship the Most High and honor the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases. 
among the angels of heaven and among the people of earth. No one can stop God or say to God, what do you mean by doing these things? And then my sanity returned to me. And so did my honor and my glory and my kingdom. My advisors and nobles, they finally sought me out again. I was restored as head of the kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the true king, the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he's able to humble the proud. Give God praise this morning. Aren't you glad for a happy ending? Wow, what a powerful passage of Scripture. That a man who had everything lost it all because of pride. And finally it surfaced. And he hit rock bottom until the day that he cried out to God. And God changed his heart. You know, maybe you've walked through seasons where you've lost it all. Maybe you didn't realize it, but there was pride in your life. I know I've been there before. I know I've come through seasons thinking I was totally fine, but God revealing in my heart there was pride, there was selfishness. It's in those moments that God heals our heart, changes our heart, changes our life, and he can do it for you right now. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. You must increase, and I must decrease. It's all about you, God. It's not about me. Use my life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to help you out with walking in victory in your life, walking in revival. And I've got a new mini book that I just finished called Stepping into Revival. And I want to send it to you today. It's going to help you in your relationships, in your everyday life. If you want this mini book, all you got to do is call us or go to our website, pauldoherty.org, and you can request it today, and we'll send it to you right from the website. Thanks so much for watching. We love you. It means the world that you keep supporting us to reach people with God's message. We'll see you next time. And never forget, your best days are right in front of you. Does your passion for God seem to have dwindled? Or maybe you have a desire to step into a deeper walk with God, but don't know how to achieve it. Pastor Paul's new mini-book, Stepping Into Revival, teaches you how to have a personal revival in your faith, family, and your community to prayer. In this book, you'll learn that personal revival reinvigorates the life of a believer and how community and relationships can be the entrance or capital to knowing God on a deeper level. Stepping into revival reveals the spiritual steps that bring an intimate relationship with God and the practical ways to implement those steps in your life. Step into that deeper relationship with God. Get your free copy today as our gift to you by calling 1-800-760-2360 or visit us online. Victory Conference, August 8th through the 13th at Victory Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. One word from God can change your life. With speakers, John Bevere, Robert Madu, Charlotte Gamble, Sammy Rodriguez, Stephen Furtick, and your hosts, Paul and Ashley Doherty. Come experience Victory Conference in person, 7700 South Lewis in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, go to victory.com. You have ways of thinking walled off in your mind that are keeping you from the life that God wants you to live. Hillsong Church Global.
best teaching from Hillsong Sunday services across the globe. Coming this August, New York. I want to be the type of Christian that is always turning the page on my faith, on my revelation of who God is, on my revelation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I want to know Jesus today better than I did yesterday. London, because I put my faith in Jesus and everything he's done and everything he represents and my revelation of him, regardless of whether things are perfect or not in my workouts, Bible tells me I have right relationship with God. History is rarely ever changed by just one person, but just one person has to act in order for history to change. Everything you do for God matters on some level. Practical Bible-based teaching that will encourage you in your everyday. <laughs> Introducing Hillsong Teen Rock, an exclusive monthly subscription that delivers everything Hillsong directly to your door. I would love you to become part of a subscription where we will send you a Teen Box. In other words, every month you'll get all sorts of books, resources, information that will help you to feel like you're part of that team and will help us to take this great message forward. Visit Hillsong.com forward slash team to join today. Keep up to date with all that's happening on the Hillsong Channel at hillsongchannel.com and online to find out everything you need to know about your favorite program and the latest information all in one place. Check out all the programs you love and for a limited time, watch Hillsong Channel on live stream on your TV, computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's all here on hillsongchannel.com. Not only are you going to win, but you're going to do a victory dance on Satan's face. All right? Anybody fired up about that? All right? When it's personal and painful, humble yourself. Now, you may be thinking, dude, that's hard. I mean, when when I'm getting pissed, the last thing I want to do is humble myself. This will help as John turns away from when language... Now before, when, hour, to the end, during supper, when, he turns now in verse 3 from when to how. And if I could only preach one verse in the passage, I would preach verse 3, where it says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, Jesus, that, that the tense there in the original language actually is because he knew, because he had the knowledge that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he, was, he had come from God and was going back to God. Look up here. I like to suggest that those two things are speaking to two separate subjects. Knowing that God had given all things into his hands, that's God's sovereignty, that's God's word, that's God's promises. He knows how this is going to end. I call that authority. When you know how it's going to end because of God's promises, you have authority in the midst of a trial. 
and today might be a bad day, and this might be a bad month, and this might be a hard quarter, but if I humble myself, I know how this is going to end, because God's made some promises about that. Now, the second thing that he says, knowing that he had come from God, think back to second person, Trinity, eternity, past, before space or time, he had all that. He knew where he came from, who he was, and he knew where he was going. Just on the other side of the empty tomb, he was going to be exalted to the right hand of God, given a name which is above every name. He knows that very shortly, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So, that's identity. Now, I want to talk to you about those two things. Authority, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. And identity, knowing that he had come from God and was going to God. Let's talk about those for us in a difficult situation. If you're facing a pinch, a a pressure, a hardship, a hurt, God's Word says, James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Don't fight, don't flee, don't flounder, don't fix, fall, get woe, as soon as you can. And here's the three things you can hang on to in the authority category. Jot these down under authority. Number one, you will win. Number one, you will win. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the children of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, declares the Lord. That's just enough. Incredible promise. Secondly, not only will you win, you will exult. Exult. I asked some of my friends, do you know the word exult? They said, do you know the word exult? They said that they didn't know the word, so I, um, I brought my phone. Oh, I have a text here. I shouldn't read it now, should I? No, okay, I won't. No, no problem. I'm, re- I'm with you. So, um, but uh, under uh, my little dictionary app here, uh, exult. To show or feel a lively or triumphant joy. To rejoice exceedingly. To be highly elated or jubilant. Exult. Exult is the victory dance. And Romans 16.20 says, in regard to what you're facing right now, if you lean into God, I want you to hear this, as though the Lord were speaking to you. If you lean into God in regard to what you're facing, Romans 16.20 says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Not only are you going to win, but you're going to do a victory dance on Satan's face. All right? Anybody fired up about that? All right? The God of peace will soon... When's it going to happen? Soon. And then, you know, it's taking forever. That's not how you're going to feel when it comes. That's not how you're going to feel 10,000 years into eternity. Like, man, that happened so fast. Just get low. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. You're going to win. You're going to exult. And, and listen to this. You can wait. You can, like, I don't have that today. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Awesome, awesome, awesome things are happening right now. And you can wait. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says, Judge nothing before the time. For the time will come when the Lord will bring to light 
the hidden things of darkness, then each one's praise will come from God alone. Okay? So that's your authority. That's not Pastor James running his mouth. Uh, that's the word of God. Got it? Okay, that's your authority. Now let's talk identity. Identity. So not just that Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus, how did you, you do that? How did you get up and wash those guys' feet? Well, I knew that the Father had given all things into my hands. And I knew that I'd come from God and that I was going to God. So this is identity. Drop these three things down about your identity. They're all from Romans 8. If you're struggling with your identity, if you're just hurting and really, really down on yourself, even though, um, read Romans 8. It's just so awesome. And who can bring a charge against, against God's elect? And who can separate us from the love of God? And we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And uh, so Romans 8, um, drop these down. First of all, you are loved. That's, I just, it grieves me that anyone would think that that's a slogan. It's not a slogan. Come here. It's not a slogan. Okay, it's it's just it's just the reality, it's just the reality that you are loved by God. All right, more than I could communicate to you, more than you could possibly imagine. All right, His eyes are always upon you. He knows your end from your beginning. Um, he numbers the hairs on your head. He saves your tears in a bottle. You are deeply, deeply loved by God, and that's your identity. And you got you got to hang on to that identity. That's the way in which you can humble yourself is because you know where you came from, you know where you're going, so you're loved, you're accepted, you're accepted. God accepts you. So, well, I just feel like I never really fit in with my in-laws. Well, I just feel like I'm, I'm just not part of the club at work. I just, I just feel like I've had a hard time connecting at church. You're accepted. You are accepted. With all your peculiarness and your unusual features and, and attitudes and the rest of it. Tell your neighbor and from your heart just tell him you're you're loved and you're accepted. Now I couldn't help but notice that he told you but you didn't say it back to him. I think your face says it's because I'm so blown away he said it to me. Alright now now you're loved and you're accepted and you're a conqueror. That's what Romans eight says. Alright. Now, all of this, I would call it this. I would call this, get the big picture. Jesus, how'd you, how'd you get up and wash those? I had the big picture. I knew, I knew my authority, what had been given into my hands. I knew my identity, where I'd come from, where I was going. Well, those are just great truths. I could spend the rest of the message on that. But then uh, this, um, number four, starting in verse four, just do it. When it's hardest to love, humble yourself. When it's personal and painful, humble yourself. When get the big picture, your authority and identity, and humble yourself. Just do it. Humble yourself. I preached on this passage on February the 16th, 1992. I'm just scanning the crowd for some people that were probably here that day, and 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 um, you know. <laughs> The Lord's done so much in my heart and, and, and in my life. I couldn't, I couldn't use the sermon. I just, that was, you know, a 32-year-old guy preaching that. And a 52-year-old guy has seen a lot more and had to learn a lot more. And, uh, but the one thing I kept out of that, that message back then was called Just Do It. And, and, and how many of you remember the big Michael Jordan days and the Nike commercial, remember that? And just do it. And Nike was getting really big and worldwide at the time and more than 20 years ago now. 
and 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 just do it, man. Stop with the talk. Stop with the excuses. Stop with the reasons. Just get out of your chair and do it. No, I think I'll just sit here and feel exercise. No, right. And it's the same thing with humility. It's a do thing. And that's why it says in verse 4, will you count these verbs with me? There's seven of them. Count the action items on Jesus' to-do list. Rose from supper. Somebody's got to get up. Laid aside his outer garments. The word outer is not the original language. It seems like they're trying to... He he was pretty close to naked. There's humility in that. He took a towel. Not like we would call a towel. Like a long, long, like what you'd make a turban out of. Like what you'd wrap someone in. And he tied it around his waist. So he actually put on the garment of a slave. Uh, which, by the way, this, this this wasn't some little ceremony. Oh, just drop a little water on your feet and just touch it. I mean, he's getting clothed for work. So he, this is going to take some energy and effort. I don't know, are we scrubbing between the toes here? Are we going on the bottom of the feet? Let's, listen, listen. It's not pretty. It's not a ceremony. He's washing these men's filthy feet. It's his first point in the upper room discourse. Humble yourself. So the verbs, he rose, laid aside, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped. So the towel didn't, it, it made some covering for him, and then there was a long part that still went out from it after it was knotted, and that's what was used to actually do the washing. Can you see him wringing it, the water out and the fill falling through the water into the... Just do it. Just do it and humble yourself. The first step, anyone would tell you, the first step in change is, I have a problem. I have a serious problem. What relief you could bring to your family if you just said, I have a problem! For additional resources or to request today's message, call 1-800-545-6800 or go to jamesmcdonald.tv. Stay with us. There's much more teaching ahead from James McDonald here on Walk in the Word. Oh, rocks are rocks. How bizarre. Who throws rocks at people, much less stones? Please. It is the 21st century. Aren't we past this? Chances are you're not seeing clearly, especially when it comes to your sin and how you react to the sins of others. And chances are you'll soon face a situation where you need to drop the rock. This message from John 8 shows you how to avoid the modern-day stoning, labeling, condemning, and the kind of judgment that Jesus hates. We'd like to sing you a special DVD called Drop the Rock, where James McDonald shows you how to avoid the modern-day stonings. Ask for the Drop the Rock DVD set when you give a gift of any amount to walk in the world. And for a gift of $100 or more, we'd also like to send you the CD set, The 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23 is one of the most familiar and loved passages in the Bible. People turn their heart for peace and fulfillment. And did you know that Psalm 23 
is really about living the abundant Christian life? Join James McDonald as he brings a fresh approach to Psalm 23. To receive these gifts from Walk in the Word, call 800-545-6800 or go to jamesmcdonald.tv right now to request your resource. You say, well, what, 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 what do you have in mind? All right? Um, here's here's uh, just four humble yourself moves, actual things to do. Praying that God would convict you of the one most suited to your life now. One, ask for help. Ask for help. Maybe you've been hurt at work. Maybe your performance is suffering. Maybe you need to go to the office this week and say, look, I want to do better. I want to be more effective. I want to be part of the solution here. What can I do to improve? Uh, could you help me? Like, that's the last thing I want to do. Right, correct. That's why we come to church. All right? Because we're the followers of Jesus. And he's laid out a pattern for us, and we want to be on it. Right? I'm doing it. Are you doing it? So you could ask for help. That would be one thing. Um, something else you could do is, is you could apologize first. You should, every Christian should be getting good at this. You could apologize first. I'm not going. I will. I will. Do it. Just do it. And, I, and, and, and not, a, I'm sorry if I did it. Not if. Not if. I'm sorry because I know that I, even though I didn't mean to. No, no. No, not, no defense. I love you. I hurt you. You feel things that I did not want you to feel, and for that I am very sorry. Go first. Oh, oh that's going to really humble. Correct. It's a do thing. And then how about this? How about um, kneeling with God in humble prayer? Maybe you just need to go to God and just humble yourself before him. And say, Lord, I've been making excuses. I've been blaming others. I've been, I've been uh, pushing this off. And I'm, God, I just want to humble myself before you and say that everything that you said is right and everything that I said is wrong. And just humble yourself. And then, um, how about this? How about um, admit you have a problem? The first step in breaking any addiction. Maybe you're addicted to alcohol. Maybe you're a sexual addict. Maybe, maybe you're addicted to, to fear and anxiety. But, but the first step, anyone would tell you, the first step in change is, I have a problem. I have a serious problem. What relief you could bring to your family if you just said, I have a problem. And in that humility, if you'd like to jot things down, jot this down and take it home with you, grace flows to humility. God's grace flows to humility. I've seen it in the Bible. I've preached it from our pulpit. I've lived it personally. Grace flows to humility. Okay? So, um, what an example. Hands up if if you're glad you're a follower of Jesus today. All right? I'm so thankful to be a follower of Jesus Christ. His pattern is so clear. When it's hardest to love, humble yourself. When it's personal and painful, get the big picture. Just do it. Humble yourself. And then, here's some more. Starting in verse uh, 6. So Peter, 
He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Peter's a piece of work, all right? Peter's flying out a piece of work. Anybody here a piece of work? Anybody? Anybody? How many people here have had somebody say to them, you're a piece of work? All right, so you are. You're a piece of work. I'm a piece of work. And, and, and just a work in progress and, and thankful for the progress. Peter, he was a piece of work. He, he, he always had something to say. He, I wanted to be careful how I described him, so I wrote it down. He was impulsive. He was emotional. He was prone to verbal outbursts. Even though he preached the first sermon in the book of Acts when thousands came to Christ, I mean, he was a problem in the early church. He was a big issue in Acts chapter 10. Jesus is confronting him about his diet. And, and, and he, he says, no, Lord. No, Lord. Now, is that not an oxymoron if there ever was one? He's like, no, Lord. I don't think those words should ever go in the same sentence, let alone right beside each other. You can see it in Acts 10. He looked at Jesus and he said, no, Lord. In Acts chapter 15, he's right at the center of the controversy there. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul had to oppose Peter to his face, it says. Piece of work. And all God's people said, he's a piece of work. And so here he comes. Jesus is going around washing all the disciples' feet. Verse 6, he came, here it comes. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you, you wash my feet. I'm trying to get the tone on that. I wash my feet. I wash my feet. Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you'll understand. How many people think if you got that from Jesus, you'd be like, I right, fine. Right? I mean, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. You know, you'll understand afterwards. Not Peter, he didn't get it. Because then he's like, um... Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. <laughs> wow, wow. Nope, nope, nope. Not going to wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Oh, you know, I'm a little bit prone to extremes here. You will never touch these things. Can I have a bath? <laughs> right? Right? Piece of work, right? And 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 yet God used him incredibly. And and to me it's just instructive that Jesus really doesn't get into this verse ten. The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you're clean. And then he changes the subject to Judas, but not every one of you. Just changes the subject. Did Peter get his feet washed? Yeah. She's like, look, look, you're going to understand later. This is real important. Because if you're going to go and humble yourself at work or wherever you're convicted to do it, if you're going to humble yourself, somebody's probably going to want to make it into a debate. Well, you know, hang on for a second here. And there's going to be some things that they feel like they need to say and they want to say. And I would just encourage you to follow Jesus' example. Don't debate. Uh, humble yourself. Make a visit. Give a gift. Write a note. Offer your hand. Loosen your grip. Humble yourself. So let's uh, bow our heads uh, in prayer. Father, I just want to ask this. Would you convict each one of us 
of a particular situation that has been worsened by our pride? Would you convict us of a concrete, specific situation where humility belonged instead of stubbornness, where humility belonged instead of pride, where humility belonged instead of hurt. Would you remind us all that we don't study your word for entertainment or to learn something new or to get a check mark for coming to church? But in your sovereignty, this example of Jesus has intersected us in your timing. So would you bring to our minds, we ask right now, a needed, humbling, a particular situation. Would you allow us to choose an act of humbling ourselves that would give grace through which you could work. And as you bring to mind the situation, and as we choose an act of humility, Father, we promise to act on that. Some of us will be making a phone call. Some of us will attempt a visit. Some of us will need to spend some profound time alone with you and confess where living apart from your grace, has got us. Some of us will have to get with our brothers or sisters for a time of personal confession. But we believe with all of our hearts that with you, Lord, the way up is down. Forgive us for ever thinking otherwise. Yes, Lord, with you, the way up is down. And so we pray as we remember you, Lord, that you would be very specific with us about an act of humility. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So welcome back. As we've been listening to this teaching and watching it and learning from it, I'm really struck by this idea that God's grace flows to humility. Yeah. So it's almost like God's grace is a river and the place where it all ends up, the low ground where all of the water goes, the God's grace is going towards people who humble themselves. Amen. What an awesome thing for us to think about that we can get more of God's grace in our lives and more of his favor on, on us as we put ourselves down in humility. And so I wonder what today is that for you? Maybe you've been watching this teaching and thinking, okay, this person in my family needs to humble themselves. Um, my dad needs to humble or whatever. This is for us. So what, where in your life can you humble yourself today and then see God's grace flow to your life? Go ahead and watch this. The struggle is over. The 
Enjoy Stingray music free on your mobile. Come and knock on our door. Hey, what's going on? This is your boy, Charmaine. And I'm telling everybody to come back to church. Knock on the door. Check it out. I see you hurting. I don't Good morning, how are you? I'm fine, dear, how are you? 
I'm good. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm going to open up in prayer. Sure. So, Father God, we thank you for another day. Lord, we thank you for waking us up in our right mind, healthy bodies, the activity of our limbs. Lord, we thank you for the sun that's shining physically as well as the sun that shines within all of us as we accept the gift of his call, of his presence in our lives. Father, as we go forward in this call today, that our fellowship saturates the atmosphere and that you just continue to dwell. Because you said in your word where two or three are gathered, you are in the midst. And so, Father, we just thank you for being in the midst of this gathering. Blessing us with your presence. Blessing us with your strength. Thank you, Father, for Sam and his continued obedience. This called. Thank you for his family and friends and seven degrees of separation. Hold on one second. Hello. Sorry about that. That was the Um, And so, Lord, we just thank you that between his family and friends and seven degrees of separation, he has the support that he needs. He has the will and the do, and he has you, O God, to help him in his finances, his spiritual growth, his mental safety, and his physical safety, O God. Father, we just thank you for the ministers that are on this line. We thank you for your word that needs to go forth and we thank you for those who are called and chosen who have picked up the mantle and done and have um you know, put their all into the race, oh God. We thank you for your presence, we thank you for your will, we thank you for your grace and mercy. In the name of your Father, we also come for have you did the list already? Hmm? Did you do the list already? I am done anything, but... Okay. So, God, we come right now for the ministers, the churches, the evangelists, and the missionaries. We come for the unsaved. We come for the abused and the addicted and the afflicted. We come for those who are in the... Sick and shut in. We come for those in hospice. 
We comfort those who are bleeding on the inside, oh Lord. And we comfort those who are crying out on the inside and the outside. We comfort those who are depressed. We comfort those who are discouraged. We comfort those who are um, are just lost and bound and imprisoned, either in spirit or in body. And Father, we come in prayer. We come in, in authority that you have given us because you said in your word that because of Christ that we, we can set the captives free. He was the one who took on our burdens. He was the one who took on everything that we have we're dealing with, oh God, or to himself. And so we're able to, with authority, as long as we believe in faith, that we can say to the mountain, be that removed into the sea. So we speak about those illnesses from the bone marrow to the skin, cancer and growths and migraines and tumors, that they are they 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 um they get smaller, they melt away, that they disappear, that they that they kill off the cancer cells, that the sickle cells round off. We speak a healing of migraines and and um and leukemia and we speak a healing of those who are dealing with heart congestive issues and um, arthritis, we speak to those who are dealing with joint issues and fibromyalgia and diabetes and high blood pressure. We speak to those things. And seek health and healing in the name of Yeshua. We speak that the truth shall be spoken. To the ears of those who are looking towards you, towards your word for guidance and for light. Lord, we just thank you right now for all that you have done and all that you're going to do. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. 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 Sendiri kena kompasa, orang di lugu sedek, 
Initiated to go south down Honda. Yes, Father God, we praise thy name. We glorify you, Lord. Yes, to go south down. We glorify you, Father. Run to the go south We glorify you, Father. Run to the go south down. 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 We seek your face. You're the full side down. We seek your presence. You're the full side down. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're the full side down. 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 You're the Thank you, Holy Spirit. 
Thank you, Father God. Get a gondras, get a gombos, gata. Boris, the dickish, get a gombos, Borosara, gata. It's because of you, Lord. Because of you, Father God. <laughs> Now, critique, critique, critique. Share the gosadaka, critique. Run Thank you. Jesus name I pray, man. Well, we won't want to do probably want to do a million and other things. So let me do this. Get the list. Do that. Okay, I
Charles Briggs, Thank you. 
и рекострешили гострешили 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 Я <laughs> Under the 
Under Gosishi, 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 Gosaga, Asaga, Sakra. The Tasha Roshir, Gosishi, 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 Gosaga, Horashi, Gosishi, 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 Gosaga, Pushkin, Gosishi, 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 Gosaga, Pushkin, Gosishi, Gosishi, Saga, Sakra. Mika Randushka, the Gold Disk, the Gomboska, the Gantaka, Odishki, the Gosishi, the Gosishi, the Gosishi, the Saga, Tondishki, the Gosishi, the Gosishi, Gosishi, Gosaga,
Bushkin Kanrani Gosation, Gosation Taka, Bushkin Shadaka, Prakara. Jenkins family, Bushkin Gosation Gosandaka, Bushkin Gosation Gosandaka, Bushkin Gosation 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 Mars business, the rumble question goes, she will go, 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 she
Illuminati. I'm going to go fish, 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 I'm Alright, everybody on all the lists. This is this is it. My everything's going strange. Even my life. What are you trying to do, Joe? What crazy thing you gonna do right now? No, you're not, because then you're going to pull the door off. The no, thing going to fall down, and I got some more money. You just can't. You just can't. No. You ain't got no money, child? Oh, you want to do Okay, okay. Okay, I wish I could. I, let me see if I can operate my phone. Go ahead. Go ahead. Come on. Let me, let me, let me go video. Come on. Come on. Let me, I'll figure it out. You'll probably be crawling on the ground by the time I figure it out, but I'll figure it out. A lot of people don't like me. I'm used to it. You slide your door open, Rico. You don't know the door. Yep. Because I will apply that much pressure onto a door. That wouldn't be a thing. That is not your intention. That doesn't mean I'm Oh, that's not your intention when you start off on a thing. Like, people don't intend to have an accident. That's why they call it an accident. It's not an on purpose. I didn't intend for this to happen. I didn't intend for that to happen either. That's why I had to call it an on purpose. Well, I had it on purpose. And you and your godfather were enjoying the book. Thank you. Did it the book for the Gandalf? All right. All of this has been praying for. Police did all the most. I'm going to get a little bit of a So. Anybody think anything? If not, I'll stay out of sex. No. I'll stay out of sex in the ring. Holy shit, it's a combine. I'm going to say that's a no.
breathing to music.
I remember everyone that I got up to sing my song, and the first notes came out wrong, but you so shy, because you were so proud. I remember sharing my phone and my faith, and there were some people who didn't understand. But you put your face in my dream, cutting all you had on me. You never doubted, cause you were so proud. We never had all the things, but what we had was enough. There were so many reasons to keep believing that we should be so proud. Now I remember hearing you meet before dawn. Then coming home with the street lights came on. Staying up late at night, trying to pay the bills and go tight. But you kept on, because you were so proud. Oh, I remember watching you read your Bible. And then crying sometimes when you pray. And now that I am a man, I finally understand how to lie down. Still stay proud. So many reasons to keep believing that we, yeah, should be so proud, even though on our bad days, so we may so stay, and we feel like giving up, oh, I stop to remember all the people never gave up on me. They wanted me to see that Tell all the finest things Oh, have to do nothing Yeah, I'm Keep believing and working and watching How the things are And then living and laughing and Enjoy Stingray music free on your mobile.
Stingray music. All good vibes. Show me your face, fill up this space, my world needs you, my world needs you, I can't explain, being a brain, feel deep in you, Show me your face Fill up this space My world needs you right now My world needs you right now I can't escape Being afraid Fill me with you I'm <laughs> 
Download the free Stingray Music mobile app. Give you the glory for the rest of my life. Lord, I lift my hands to you in total sacrifice. I give you my worship and honor my praise. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. God, give it all. You get all the glory, and 
Jeremy, he says that he's going to forcibly fight to clear his name. So stay tuned. He's going to be in Okay, Rashkarel Komboske, Rando Gosishi, Rando Gosishi, Rando Gosetaka, Rando Gosishi, 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 Rando Gosishi, Rando Gosishi, Rando Gosetaka. Grande gosteci, 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 Horashiri from Boskirigasaraga, Shirumboskirisha, Shirideshkirumboskirada, Shirandrugose, Hushkirusurakasa, Shirugose, Shirandrandrugose, Shirugoboskirakanda, Shirokada. Jesus' name I pray, man. Okay. Hmm. In our communion with God, the spirit of wisdom and revelation is imperative. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom of revelation and the knowledge of him, Ephesians 1 and 17. When a new spirit is received at regeneration, its functions await development, for they presently lie dormant there. The Apostle Paul prayed for the regenerated believers at Ephesians. Ephesians desiring that they receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation so they might know God intuitively. Whether this ability is a hidden function of the believer's spirit, which is activated through prayer, or whether it's something added by the Holy Spirit to believer's spirit as a result of prayer, we do not know. Yet one thing is certain. This spirit of wisdom and revelation is essential to one's communion with God. We also recognize that it can be obtained through prayer. Hmm. Hmm. Although our intuition is capable of communing with God, it requires wisdom and revelation. We needed to know what it is. We need it. We needed to know what it is of God and what it is of ourselves. We must have wisdom to discern the enemy's counterfeit as well as his attack. We also require to know how to con- conduct ourselves among men. In a thousand different ways, we need God's wisdom we are foolish and prone to make mistakes. How difficult for us to execute God's will in all matters, but he will grant us the necessary equipment. He does not impart it to our brain, rather. He dispenses the spirit of wisdom to us so that we may have wisdom in our spirit. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. Yes. 
He does not impart it to our brain, rather he dispenses to the he dispenses the spirit of wisdom to us so that we may have wisdom in our spirit. God gives it to our intuition, for he will lead us through intuition in the way of wisdom. While our mind may indeed remain dull, our intuition is full of wisdom. Often when our own wisdom seems to have reached its end, there gradually rises from within us another kind to guide us. Wisdom and revelation are closely linked because all God's disclosures are of those of wisdom. If we live naturally, we have no way to figure out God. Nothing but darkness resides in the natural man. God and matters divine stretch far beyond the reaches of our mind. And although our spirit may even be quickened, it still dwells in darkness if there is no unfolding from the Holy Spirit. A quickened spirit only indicates that it is at least capable of receiving God's revelation. It does not mean that it can now move independently. In our communion with God, he frequently gives revelation we ought to pray for such. The spirit of revelation implies that God reveals in the spirit. The spirit of wisdom and revelation signifies where God reveals himself and how he imparts to us his wisdom. Hmm. Wow, Father God, I guess I needed to hear this this morning, Lord. Thank you, Lord. An impulsive thought is not to be interpreted as belonging to the spirit of revelation. Only what we intuitively know, the mind of God through operation of the Holy Spirit and our spirit, over even constitutes the spirit of revelation. Let me read that again. Only what we intuitively know, the mind of God through the operation of the Holy Spirit and our spirit, ever constitutes the spirit of revelation. God communes with us there and nowhere else. The spirit of wisdom and revelation affords us true knowledge of God. All else is skin deep, imaginary, superficial, and therefore false. We frequently speak of God's holiness, righteousness, mercy, love, and other virtues. Man's mind is capable of conceiving these attributes of God, yet such mental knowledge is like looking through a stone wall. When, however, a believer has received revelation from God concerning his holiness, he sees himself corrupted to the core and void of any cleanliness before the light of God's dwelling is unapproachable light when no sinful natural man can draw nigh. Oh, that many among us might be given such an experience as that. And thereafter, let us compare the one who has received such a disclosure of God's holiness with other who has no such experience yet easily speaks of his holiness. They may perhaps employ the same terminology, but the word articulated by the first seems to be many times weightier than that of the second person. The first one appears to speak with his whole being and not just with his lips. The spirit of revelation alone explains it, and this applies equally to all other truths in the Bible. Sometimes we understand a certain truth and recognize its importance, but only after that particular truth is gradually unfolded by God to our spirit are we able to speak with a special emphasis. Whatever we gather outwardly, which is not inwardly disclosed, can neither move ourselves nor others. Revelation in the spirit alone contains spiritual potency. To commune with God is to receive his revelation in the spirit. Rare are God's disclosures for many of us because rarely do we wait on <laughs> Rarely do we wait on them. Hmm. 
Rarely do we wait on him for them. How can we compare a preoccupied natural life with a life walked according to Revelation? But if we are willing to provide God the opportunity, we shall receive Revelation quite, quite often indeed. The life of the apostles abundantly substitutes this assertion. There's a soulish as well as spiritual wisdom. There's a soulish as well as spiritual wisdom. The first springs from man's mind, while the second is supplied to the spirit by God. Education may, may remedy any lack of understanding and wisdom in a natural man, but it cannot alter his natural endowment. Spiritual wisdom, though, may be realized through believing prayer, James 1 and 5. One thing which you ought to keep in mind is that in redemption, God shows no partiality, Acts 10 and 34. He places all sinners, wise or foolish, on the same footing and confers upon them the same salvation. As the entire being of the wise is totally corrupted, so is that of the foolish. In God's sight, the mind of the wise is as inefficient as that, as that of the foolish. Both need the regeneration of the spirit. And after that, it is easy, no easier for the wise than for the foolish to know the word of God. Now, of course, it is quite difficult for a very foolish person to know God, but it is less difficult for the wisest among men. Not at all, because God must be known in the spirit by everyone. The minds may be unalike, yet both their spirits are dead, and hence, death, hence equally foolish and deficient in divine matters. Man's natural cleverness does not help him to know God and God's truth. No doubt the wise one is easier to reason with and quicker in understanding, but is altogether limited to the mental realm, utterly contrary to intuitive knowledge. Do not assume that after regeneration, the wise has advantage over the foolish in making spiritual progress. Unless they are more faithful and submissive, their better mental comprehension adds nothing to their intuitive knowledge. Man's old creation never serves as the source of the new creation. Spiritual advancement is measured by the faithful obedience. Natural endowment does not affect spiritual life one way or the other. Although it yields priority to the flesh, in spiritual experience, everybody begins at the same starting point, passes through the same processes, obtains the same results. All regenerated believers, including the naturally wise, must consequently seek spiritual understanding, without which no one can maintain no normal fellowship with God. Nothing can take the place of spiritual understanding that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, to lead a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, Colossians 1, 9-10. This is what Paul prayed on behalf of the saints of Colossia. In this prayer, we find that true knowledge of God's will is preceded by spiritual understanding and followed by, one, leading a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, two, bearing fruit in every good work, and three, increasing in the knowledge of God. No matter how good man's natural endowment is, he cannot know God's will by that means. It requires spiritual comprehension to know his will and to commune with him. Only spiritual understanding can penetrate the spiritual realm. Hmm. The natural kind may grasp some teachings, but these stand in mind and unable to flow as life. Because spiritual understanding comes from the spirit, it can, it can transform what is understood into life. Have we now perceived that all true knowledge emerges from the spirit? The spirit of revelation moves hand in hand with spiritual understanding. God grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation as well as spiritual comprehension. The wisdom and revelation we obtain in the spirit needs to be understood spiritually. Ooh. Mm. 
Revelation is what we receive from God. Understanding assists us to comprehend what is revealed. Spiritual understanding furnishes the meaning of all the movements within our spirit so we may comprehend God's will. Communion with God includes receiving his revelation. Mm. Communion with God includes... finish reading. Revelation is what we receive from God. Understanding assists us to comprehend what is revealed. Spiritual understanding furnishes us the meaning of all the movements within our spirit so we may comprehend God's will. Communion with God includes receiving his revelation in the spirit, that is, in the spirit's intuition, and then apprehending the meaning of this revelation by spiritual understanding. Our comprehension does not arise naturally, but is enlightened by the spirit. It is clear from these two verses in Colossians that if we desire to please God and to bear fruit, we must know God's will in our spirit. Our spirit's relationship with God is the foundation for pleasing him and bearing fruit. How vain for us to respect God's pleasure while walk according to the soul. God is pleased with nothing but his own will. Nothing else can satisfy his heart. Our anguish is that we do not know God's will. We search and think, yet we seem unable to touch his mind. We should therefore remember that the way to know God's mind lies not in much searching and judging, but in spiritual understanding. Nothing but man's spirit can judge God's will, but has an intuitive power to discern his movement. If we apprehend God in this way continuously, we shall increase in the knowledge of him. Intuition can grow and grow. It knows no bounds. The development means the development of the believer's entire spiritual life. Each true communion we have with God trains us to commune better next time. We should seek to be perfect. Accordingly, we must seize every opportunity to train our spirit to know God better. Today, I need us to truly know him, to appropriate him in the depth of our being. How often we think we have discerned his will, and yet later we discover we've been mistaken. Since I need us to know God and his will, we must seek to be filled with the knowledge of that will and all spiritual understanding. Hmm, interesting. Okay, Lord, what is it that you're saying, trying to say? Mm, let me get some water, I guess.
Okay. In our communion with God, the spirit of wisdom and revelation is imperative. The Lord of our, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, Ephesians 1 and 17. Okay. In our communion of, with God, that means in the place where we intimately meet with God. Communion is the, that part of our spirit man where he exists, and that's where we go to meet with him. So in that place, the spirit of wisdom and revelation is imperative. It means you got to have it. Why is it imperative? And he's saying the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So he's differentiating between our natural and our spiritual. Now he's going in Ephesians 1 and 17. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of God. That was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. That's also the word of God concerning you. So that you can get a spirit of revelation, a spirit of wisdom of the knowledge of God. Where do you think would be better, your knowledge or God's knowledge? Flowing in you or flowing in God? Do you even recognize that you have the capacity to have the knowledge of God, the mind of Christ? But what are we walking in? And it's a choice, and it has to grow. It has, we have to be trained, and I say be trained because we can't train ourselves to do it. We have to be trained by the Holy Spirit. When a new spirit is received at regeneration, it functions a weight development. For they presently lie dormant there. The Apostle Paul prayed for the regenerated believers at Ephesus, desiring they may receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation so they may know God intuitively. So he's saying, now, nah, we've been born again. We now have a regenerated, new, quickened spirit. Before that, our spirit was dead to God. It's alive to the world, but it was dead to God. But now, once it's alive, it still has to be built. It has to grow. It has to increase. If not, it's not. It's just going to stay there, dormant, not producing anything. Whether this ability is a hidden function of the believer's spirit, which is activated through prayer, or whether it's something added by the Holy Spirit to the believer's spirit as a result of prayer, we do not know. Yet one thing is certain. The spirit of revelation is essential to one's communion with God. We also recognize that it can be obtained through prayer. Well, I'm going to just say this. Again, that's where life happens. When life happens and we need help, we, try, we begin to access, we begin to seek, we begin to, 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 to go looking for something outside of ourselves because if we had it within ourselves, we'd be okay. But then we begin to press, we begin to push, and so now since what we have is not enough, that's when we begin to tap into God's spirit and let that hold on for a minute.
Hello? Hello, is anybody here? Yeah, okay, I'm back. Okay. All right, so um, talking about the belief, say whether this ability is a hidden function of the believer's spirit, which is activated through prayer, or whether something added by the Holy Spirit to the believer's spirit as a result of prayer, we do not know. Yet one thing is certain, the spirit of revelation and wisdom is essential to one's communion with God. We also recognize that it can be obtained through prayer. So what I was saying, what he's saying is whether or not it's God and it's hidden or sitting there, we don't really know, but that is is there and it can be activated through prayer. Everybody can obtain wisdom and revelation and knowledge of God. It's available to everybody. Although our intuition is capable of communing with God, it requires wisdom and revelation. We needed to know what is of God and what is of ourselves. Hmm. Let me read that again. Although our intuition is capable of communing with God, it requires wisdom and revelation. We needed to know what is of God and what is of ourselves. So this is the beginning of the process of discerning of voices. The discerning of, of sources, what is of God, what is of us, what is of the enemy. That's why intuition and discernment and revelation is important. And God will teach you this. We must have wisdom to discern the enemy's counterfeit as well as his attack. Why would we need to have wisdom to discern the enemy's counterfeit? What do we mean by the enemy's counterfeit? Anything? Because, oh, sorry. Come on. Because um, something that's counterfeit is something that looks real, but it's not. It's just like counterfeit money. And so he knows how to make things look authentic and real when they're not. And so... If you fall for that, if you're fooled by it and you think that something is real, when it's not, then you'll begin to um, you'll begin to move and operate, you know, like it's real, which means that you'll be on a false path, which means that it can, you know, turn your whole setup around. So you have to be able to. You have to be able to tell when something is, is not real, when something is fake. And he's really, really good at making stuff look real when it's not. Because he knows he knows what you really want. He knows your desires. He knows your wishes. He knows. So he knows how to put something right in front of your face that looks like exactly what you want, but meaning you're no good at all because it's not pure. So just for clarification purposes, we're talking, you're talking about the enemy, not God, right? Of course. Man, I wouldn't do that. Hmm, interesting. Why, why would I wouldn't do that? Because he doesn't do things to try to hurt, hurt us and trip us up. He wants us to be well. He wants us to do good and be whole. He doesn't want us to be thrown off. We don't have time for that. He got a purpose for us. He don't have time to be playing games. Why would he do that? Now, will he test you? Yep. That's why you have to have that wisdom and that discernment too, because he'll test you. 
He will test you now. He will test you. When it's time for you to, to do what it is that he needs for you to do, he'll test you to see if you know you're behind from a hole in the wall, as they say. He'll test you to see if you can tell, you know, what's up, too. But he, he's not going to just sit around and just, you know, play games with you for the heck of it. It's this way. Time with him, then we begin to learn about God and his nature and how he acts and interacts with us. Correct? Mm-hmm. But now, what about you that the devil will what we want? God won't give us what we want? Huh? Say it again. You said the devil will give us what we want. The devil will give us exactly what we want. I'm saying God won't give us what we want? No, the devil will give you the things that you want that are not of God, the things that's going to to um, mess up, you know, mess you up, the things that are going to throw you off from what you're supposed to be doing. They'll both provide what you want, but the difference is that, you know, the devil, it will be... Um, it will be something, something that and in a manner which will be of harm to you. That's the thing about the devil. He'll give you exactly what you want. If you want to be famous, mm-hmm, he'll make you famous. He will make you famous, and he will send you straight to hell while, you, while he's making you famous. If you want to be rich, he'll make you rich, and he'll have you doing some crazy stuff that will send your butt straight to hell. Or the jail, hell or jail one. That's the difference. It's not they'll both give you what you want. They'll you can get what you want. It's just the manner and the process and the way you're gonna end up when you get that what you desire. It could even be the same thing. But one force will have you doing it the wrong way and the other force will have you doing it the right way that will you know, the right way that will lead you to something better. Okay. Alrighty then. I'll just keep reading. Oh boy. If I can find a page. Although our intuition is capable of communing with God, it requires wisdom and revelation. We need to know what is of God and what is of ourselves. We must have wisdom to discern the enemy's counterfeit as well as his attack. We also also require you to know how to conduct ourselves among men. In a thousand different ways, we need God's wisdom, for we are foolish and prone to make mistakes. Now, that is just funny. In a thousand different ways, we need God's wisdom, for we are foolish and prone to make mistakes. That's just, just, just funny. I mean, because really, and I, I'm going back to what the, what is the word said that no flesh will glory in His presence. You know what? And, and I got I, I sent that text out about Wayne yesterday, but he funny. He he funny. What does he say? I know I mess up. <laughs> 
<laughs> and we laugh because it's like, you know, uh, don't, don't leave it up to me because I know I'm going to mess it up. I, 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 that's my nature. And truly what God needs us to see is, hey, dude, without me, you're going to screw this thing up. And the more that we grow and mature, the more that we need to see it and understand it and lean on God. How difficult for us to execute God's will in all matters, but he will grant us the necessary equipment. He does not impart it to our brain. Rather, he dispenses the spirit of wisdom to us so we may have wisdom in our spirit. Mm. How difficult for us to execute God's will in all matters, not some, but in all matters. And that's what God desires to be in everything, every aspect of our life. But he will grant us the necessary equipment. God will give us what we need in order to do that which he wants us to do. He's not going to ask you to do something and then not give you the thing that you need. But then the processes, like Lisa talked about, you got to learn the processes for your walk of how to find out those particular tools. In other words, sometimes it might not be sitting right in front of you. Sometimes you might have to dig a little, wait a little, be patient. But whatever it is, God's not going to purposely withhold something from you that you need especially when he's asking you to do something that he's wanting you to do. Again, his character, that is not of How difficult for us to execute God's will in all matters, but he will grant us the necessary equipment. He does not impart it to our brain, rather he dispenses the spirit of wisdom to us so we may have wisdom in our spirit. God gives it to our intuition, but he will lead us through intuition to the way of wisdom. So... In our spirit, man, it is a revelation, whatever it is that we need, but it's going to come through our spirit. Again, he downloads into our spirit, and we'll tap into that to find out what it is, how to deal with whatever situation While our mind may indeed remain dull, our intuition is full of wisdom. Often when our own wisdom seems to have reached its end, there gradually rises from within us another kind to guide us. (laughs) Often when our own wisdom seems to have reached its end, there gradually rises from within us another kind to guide us. So often... We have to get to the end of ourselves before we get begin to tap into God. Reality of situations most of the time because we're used to drawing from ourselves of ourselves. You have to be retrained and reprogrammed so that you'll know the difference and that you'll just automatically tap into God. It's a process. And it probably tell you it takes a whole lot to untrain you because you've been doing you all your life. A lot of us don't even recognize that, hey, there is a different way to act, a different way to move. Often when our own wisdom seems to reach its end, there gradually rises from within us another kind to guide us. Wisdom and revelation are closely linked because all God's disclosure are those of wisdom. If we live naturally, we have no way to figure out God. Nothing but darkness resides in the natural man. God and matters divine stretch far beyond the reaches of our mind. 
And although our spirit may even be quickened, it still dwells in darkness if there's no unfolding from the Holy Spirit. Hmm. A quickened spirit only indicates that it is at least capable of receiving God's revelation. It does not mean that it can now move independently. So, a quickened spirit means it's at least capable of receiving God's intuition. In other words, until your spirit, until you're born again, you cannot receive God. You cannot hear from God. All of that is you. So now once you are born again, your spirit is quick and is born again. Now that's the first step. Then you can begin to tap into God's wisdom, God's movements. But, again, all that has to be trained. And, and like I said, nine times out of ten, it comes normally when you've gotten to the end of yourself. When you've gotten to the end of you, but yet still there lies something in front of you that needs to be done, needs to be completed, needs to take place. And you say, I don't know how to do this. Perfect example. I was talking to Erica the other day, and she was talking about how, how much her pastor really preached on Sunday. But then she said when she talked to him later on, he's just so tired of everything that's going on, trying to figure, trying to figure out. He said he just literally, he didn't even prepare like he normally prepares. He literally just got up there and said, I'm, I, Lord, you got to have this one. I can't do it. And so since he was at the end of himself, he let God take over. Erica said it was one of the best sermons he ever preached. Again, so often we're so used to walking in ourselves, listening to ourselves, moving about how we think or feel, and we don't even recognize that it's us moving and it's not God. So when we get to the end of whatever it is that we're trying to deal with, situation, circumstance, we get to the end of our own strength, our own understanding, whatever, we at the end of our rope. But we still look at all this road up ahead of us that needs to be walked. And you say, Lord, how am I going to do this? And since you don't have nothing else to give, you just stop. You pause. Because you really are clueless. And that's when he says, now you're ready to listen. In our communion with God, he frequently gives revelation. We ought to pray for such. The spirit of revelation implies that God reveals in the spirit. The spirit of wisdom and revelation signifies where God reveals himself and how he imparts to us his wisdom. Okay. In our communion with God, he frequently gives revelation. We ought to pray for such. The spirit of revelation implies that God reveals in the spirit, the spirit of revelation. The spirit of wisdom and revelation signifies where God reveals himself and how he imparts to us his wisdom, spirit. Spirit of God, the spirit with so he's going to impart and reveal himself through his spirit to our spirit. It's a spirit-to-spirit connection. An impulsive thought is not to be interpreted as belonging to the spirit of revelation. Okay, this is where the training comes in. An impulsive thought. This is where God has to grow us and critique us so that we can begin to discern what's the difference from an impulsive thought and what's the difference between him speaking to us. 
So it's going to be the source. An impulsive thought comes from us, our mind, our, our, what we think, how we feel, impulse. God speaking to us through his spirit, we got to know that it's him. And he will... And you got you have to learn that for yourself. You have to, I mean, you know, you have to learn that in your own walk. And the Holy Spirit will train you. It's it's just you know, um, yeah. That's all I can say. You 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 got you know, because you got to learn the difference between God is speaking to you. And you got an idea. And I'm not even saying it's a bad idea. But is it a God idea? So these are the things that you will get critiqued upon as you grow. An impulsive thought is not to be interpreted as belonging to the spirit of revelation. Only what we intuitively know of the mind of God through the operation of the Holy Spirit and our spirit ever constitutes the spirit of revelation. Let me read that again. Only what we intuitively know, okay, intuitively then, only what we intuitively know that God is speaking to us through our spirit. His spirit is speaking to our spirit, and we intuitively know it. Through the operation of the Holy Spirit and our spirit, okay, ever constitutes the spirit of revelation. Okay, let me let me talk about the conferences. I, I intuitively knew I said, I, I got to give him a hand. That's why I went down. I Looking at what's going on, seeing how it's going, okay, I got to give him a hand. That's why I stepped in and offered to help because I, I, I intuitively, and the Lord confirming, and, I, and honestly, I was down to have to, okay, well, Lord, why am I here? I asked myself that several times. And then he began to reveal to me why. So, but again, I, I, that's him working in me, knowing how he operates, how he talks to me. And it's the same with you. And he'll confirm it. And then, again, you'll have your, your fleecy moments as Gideon. Lord, can you confirm this? Lord, can you, can you tell me this? You know, so, again, he will grow you up in this. He does, he does not, just like Lisa was talking about earlier, about, how how God will operate and how Satan will operate will counterfeit. God's not out to hurt you, but he knows that you got to grow up in this thing. He knows you're going to make mistakes and recognize them voices. So when he's training you, when again, when you're going to make mistakes, he's going to let you make mistakes on the little things so that you can learn, like, oh, that wasn't God. But then that's going to come from you Stopping, pausing, listening, praying, allowing. Now, this is the where the work is involved. Studying, fasting, all of that. Mm-hmm. All that stuff that you have to do. He's not going to do it for you. But if you continue to do these spiritual processes as the Holy Spirit leads you, you'll begin to discern when he's speaking to you, when the enemy's speaking to you, and when you're speaking to yourself. The spirit of wisdom and revelation affords us true knowledge of God. Okay, wait a minute. True knowledge of God. 
All else is skin deep, imaginary, superficial, and therefore false. Let me let me read that one again. The spirit of revelation and wisdom affords us true knowledge of God. All else is skin deep, imaginary, superficial, and therefore false. To really know God intimately, how to flow with him on a personal level. See, there's a corporate level and there's a personal level. There's a corporate meaning we as the body of Christ working with one another as God wants us to work with each other. Every joint supply of one another. But then there's also a personal, intimate level for your own self, for your own walk. We frequently speak of God's holiness, righteousness, mercy, love, and other virtues. Man's mind is capable of conceiving these attributes of God. Yet such mental knowledge is like looking through a stone wall. Okay. We frequently speak of God's holiness, righteousness, mercy, love, and other virtues. These are virtues of things, characters of God, things that man attained to want to walk in and seek God and, and become more like God in these areas of his life. Man's mind is capable of conceiving these attributes of God. His mind is capable of seeing these attributes, of knowing of this, because we can know it mentally. Yet such mental knowledge is like looking through a stone wall. That's, that's, that's interesting. How are you going to look through a stone wall? Unless you're Superman with X-ray vision, one of the X-Men, and that's your superpower? You can't really do that. So that's what he's saying. Knowing God through our mind is like looking through a stone wall. It's not really going to happen, Captain. <clears throat> when, however, a believer has received, received revelation from God concerning his holiness, he sees himself corrupted to the core and void of, clean, of any cleanliness before the light of God's dwelling is unapproachable light when no sinful natural man can draw nigh. Okay. When, however, a believer has received a revelation from God concerning his holiness, in other words, when you really begin to see yourself as God sees you, what did Paul say? The more, I'm paraphrasing, but bottom line, the more he got closer to God, the more he saw how wretched of a man he was. You know, we talked about all the different types of light. You can clean the house up and down, but if you really want to see how many more germs, go get you a black light. So the same thing with God. You, you you draw closer to him, and I'm saying black light, but I'm one of them CS lights, CSI lights, where they can see the blood plasm and the germs crawling around, those kind of lights. And that's how it is when we draw closer to God. The closer to God we see, the more we see how corrupt and bad we are. That's why God says no flesh is going to glory in his presence. Oh, that many among us might be given such an experience as that. And thereafter, let us compare the one who has received such a disclosure of God's holiness with the other who has no such experience, yet easily speaks of his holiness. Mm. I'm going to read that again. Oh, that many among us might be given such an experience as that. 
And thereafter, let us compare the one who has received such a disclosure of God's holiness with the other who has no such experience, yet easily speaks of his holiness. <laughs> That's self-righteousness. And it just sticks out. It really does, you know. Yes, I'm holy. I'm no God and this, that, and the other. And honestly, you know, again, because we're talking grad level here. Well, I talk about me personally. When I see it, I go, oh, okay. You know, you don't have to try to correct or direct because, what do you want, y'all? You want to go to 111th Street? I know it's coming sooner or later. Anyway, let me finish this paragraph, y'all. Oh, that many among us might be given such an experience as that. And thereafter, let us compare the one who receives such a disclosure of God's holiness with the other and has no such experience that easily speaks of his holiness. It's called vainglory, self-righteousness, basking in what you've achieved and who you are. They may perhaps employ the same terminology, but the word articulated by the first seems to be many times weightier than that of the second. The word articulated by the person who was going through those experiences seems weightier than that of the person who has not. You know what? And I'm going to just say this from um, when the prayer call first started taking a drastic turn from, you know, us calling and reading a few verses until a lot of other stuff, I used to say, you know, I'm just reading it out of a book. I'm reading this out. But the thing was, I had experienced and been through so much that it was talking that I was giving life to what was being read because I had been through so many of these experiences. So that's what they're saying. When you have gone through and lived through and experienced through things, that when you begin to talk, converse, minister, it's not just the words, it's the life that's associated with them. Especially when you begin to get an understanding of the spiritual aspect that's connected with it. They may perhaps employ the same terminology, but the word articulated by the first seems to be many times weightier than that of the second person. The first one appears to speak with his whole being and not just with his lips. The spirit of revelation alone explains it, and this applies equally to all other truths in the Bible. Sometimes we understand a certain truth and recognize its importance, but only after that particular truth is gradually unfolded by God to our spirit are we able to speak with special emphasis. Gradually unfolded by God. And you know what? How, why he has to gradually unfold his truth? Because we ain't able to deal with it all at once. It, it just, that's why, again, I said that the other day about the word of God. Well, let us get a word. We want to get a word because we, a word from God is more than enough. You ever realize, like, a lot of ministers, they'll, get, they'll read a passage out of the Bible. I'm going to take this down for y'all and commit suicide or something crazy. They'll read four or four scriptures out of the Bible. And then that's what they'll preach on. That's what the sermon will be on. A word of God. When God unfolds a word, 
That's where the life is at. That's where the power is at. But again, that's he gradually unfolds that to us because that's how we're capable of receiving it in doses. Okay. I'm getting ready to change clothes and take my child to the train. Or wherever she's going. Sorry, I'm changing phones.
Hi, Max. I know y'all miss me. Uh, 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 uh. Anyway, anybody got any comment when I'm driving her to school, driving her to where I'm driving her? Alrighty.
almost seven of us in there. One time. Two times. Goodbye, child. This boy almost ran into me looking at my daughter. Can he make the turn? Neck almost broke. Kitchen. 
You can just leave it right there. Nobody there. Oh, there they go.
they did the, the uh, they had thrown him in jail and they were trying to kill him and all this other stuff. And whoever the leader was at the time, he said, "You know what? This is what it is." He said, "Leave him alone, because if it's them that's doing this, it'll die. But if it's God that's doing this, ain't nothing we can do." And they let him go free. So what am I saying? I'm saying we're trying to figure out, is this of God, is this of the Holy Spirit, or is this me speaking? A barometer is, does it touch you? Okay, it might touch you because you said it or you did it. But does it touch others? How does it touch others? Again, this is the Holy Spirit. Begin to use it as a barometer when you speak, when you do something. Now, again, we're talking about grad level. See, now what happens is, wow, I got, I, I, I'm probably about to mess up because she should, she should have been talking about it anyway. But Lisa sent out a text. She was pricked in her spirit to do it. Didn't even really think nothing about it. But when she got to the conference, she met someone, and they spoke about that text and how that text saved their life. See, this is God is growing you up in this thing. It's interesting, to put it mildly. Because you have to be trained. Because let me tell you this. You have to be trained to know, to move, and to do. Because in the training processes, when you're you're being trained by God and and you're finding out, is this of God, is this of me, and you're doing all this different stuff, and and, and then God's beginning to show you that this was me and this was me and this was me. As you get to the grad, the more advanced level, God will speak to you and have you do something. And you don't see no change. But you don't worry about it. Because at this point in time, you know God and his voice. And you're just obedient. Because, see, when he had you to do that, just because you didn't see a change, doesn't mean it's not a change being made. Now, again, I'm talking grand. I'm talking beyond what I'm reading right now. I'm talking about when you're seeing beyond your natural experiences, when you're, when you're believing beyond that which is right in front of you. Because, see, a lot of times what you're doing is you're planting seed in people's lives or you're planting seed in the spiritual realm and arena that you don't even know nothing about. I got a list of people that I pray for. Somebody said I'm praying for everybody in the third world countries. Yep. And at times I get like, just like, this is exactly what she says, how I feel, like, really, Lord? But time from time, God will bring and show me that this is making a difference. At a situation, I, I sent out a text to my sister, and she responded in a spiritual fashion. I was, I was blown away. I said, well, God is working. Because my sister don't talk, I don't even think she think like that. Anyway. You know, and then even a cousin of mine just, and I know he's not a believer, but he had an out-of-body experience. He's getting ready to check up out here, people, and I know he's not a believer, but God, because of the prayer spared his life, he's given him an opportunity for salvation. It's stuff like that God will begin to show you that, hey, stay on your post, post. 
Stay on your wall. But see, that gets beyond stages what I'm what I'm reading about right now and that's what you have to grow into so yeah God but it starts with you recognizing the voices it starts with you being obedient so yeah step out make mistakes but every time you every time you say or do something then go back to the Holy Spirit and say God was that of you? We had to say, Mark, Mark, and, 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 and Renee were talking last week, and I said, I tell you what, this is what needs to happen at the end of this. You need to go. You need to pray. You need to ask God and let him tell you, is this me speaking or is this you speaking? That's how we got to get pruned, and we have to be honest, because a lot of times when God starts telling us stuff, he's going to tell us stuff we don't want to hear. But that's the only way we're going to grow. Whatever we gather outwardly, which is not inwardly disclosed, can neither move ourselves nor others. Revelation in the spirit alone contains spiritual potency. To commune with God is to receive his revelation in the spirit. Rare are God's disclosures for many of us because rarely do we wait on him for them. Ooh. Rare are God's disclosures for many of us because rarely do we wait on him for them. In other words, when he don't move the way that we think and want him to move, then we'll get up and do something. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I mean, and now we talk about on the line that being still does not mean that you don't have to do, that you have nothing to do. Again, we're talking grand level here. Let's, let, let, let's, that means, now I'm not contradicting what I'm saying. In other words, when you're trying to figure out What's your next step regarding the big overall picture? Well, while you're waiting on God for clarity for the big overall picture, then you can turn around and clean up some of the unfinished business that you haven't finished, the some of the stuff, the little stuff that you started and stopped or did. This and well, while I'm waiting on God to give me clarity about the big picture, I'll tidy up all the little things around me. See, that's how you keep your house in order. How can we compare a preoccupied natural life with a life walked according to revelation? But if we are willing to provide God the opportunity, we shall receive revelation quite often indeed. The life of the apostles abundantly substantiates this assertion. Walking in the realm of the supernatural. You keep doing this over and over again. After a while, it just becomes a way of life. Like the conversation I had, Erica, I said, Erica, I know why I push like I do. Why do you push? And she didn't even know. But because of her environment and situation, circumstances, her pressing had now become a way of life. And it took her, what, about a month to figure it out? Because it had become so much a, a way that she does things that, you know, she didn't even understand the motivating factor where it was created at. And literally, that's what God wants us to do. That's how he wants us to grow up, that we get so accustomed to walking in him that when we walk in ourselves, we feel, oh, what's going on? I don't feel right. Ain't something ain't right. I'm missing something. There's a soulish as well as spiritual wisdom. Mm. There's a soulish as well as spiritual wisdom. The first springs from man's mind while the second is supplied by the Spirit of God. Education may remedy any lack of understanding and wisdom in the natural man. So 
soulish wisdom, wisdom of the world, things that I learned. Well, I don't know this. Let me go study that. Let me go. And all that is, that's how you learn. Don't think that you're just going to pray and stuff. No, you need, to, you, need to, you need to study stuff too in the natural realm, people. You know, right now with the business mastermind, that's one one of the things that's going on. You know, is an application in the business arena. Yeah, I can pray to I'm blue. I can pray to you blue in the face. So what? Is that putting a dollar in my pocket? It will. It would afford me the opportunity to go and, and make some money. Yes, but I still have to apply and go out there and do it. See, that's a, it's a combination of the two. And a lot of times I find myself now Googling this or doing that to figure out certain things, to make sure that I'm doing them correctly. Wisdom in the world. But it is not to supersede the wisdom of God. Education may render any lack of understanding and wisdom in a natural man, but it cannot not alter his natural endowment. So in other words... If your IQ or your natural level is just where it is, or that's how smart you are, or because of your genealogy or your 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 family tree, you was just born with a family of of uh, mentally incompetent or mentally challenged people. <laughs> then that's about far as you go because it's in your blood. You can't do that. I, I don't know. I'd be an athlete. I throw the ball, but uh, I can't run no business. I, I, I make a lot of money, but I'm going to blow it off because I don't know what to do with it. So a natural endowment is going to be where it's at. And you can constantly learn and, and increase, but he's saying bottom line is like a certain level that it is what it is. Spiritual wisdom, though, may be realized through believing prayer, James 1 and 5. One thing which we ought to keep in mind is in that redemption, God shows no partiality, Acts 10 and 34. He places all sinners, wise or foolish, on the same footing and confers upon them the same salvation. As the entire being of the wise is totally corrupted, so is that of the foolish. In God's sight, the mind of the wise is non-efficient, See, see that that that's that my soulless wisdom right now. I ain't gonna even try to pronounce that word right there. I could look it up, and but I don't really want to be bothered. But for those who's trying to figure out what I'm trying to say, N O N E F F I C A C I O U S. I'm gonna say it one more time for the writing slow people. <laughs> N O N none E F F I C A C I O U S. In God's sight, the mind of the wise is as non-efficient as that of the foolish. In other words, basically, they about to, they ain't they, in God's sight. They about the same. Both need the regeneration of the spirit, and after that, it is no easier for the wise man than for the foolish to know the words of God. So basically, what he's saying is, in God's sight, wise or foolish, they're the same until they're born again. Then once they're born again, the foolish has just as much opportunity to become wise as that is the wise man in the spiritual arena. And what happens is spiritual wisdom outweighs worldly wisdom. So even if you were born 
challenged, mentally challenged, if you apply the word of God, it will correct and direct all things if you walk in it. And, you know, and I guess that's that's one of my, I, I, I don't know how I can say it other than me just saying it the way that I really feel. That's one of my problems is that I really truly believe that if you apply the word of God, it can correct all things. It can it can move all things. It can do all things. Why do I say that's one of my problems? Because that's one of the reasons that I keep pushing when I'm tired, when I don't like it. Oh Jesus. Mm. Wow. Mm. I say it's one of my problems because In the processes, what it is imparted and taught and grown up in me, has really changed my life. And then when I see it changing the life of others, and it was not my intention, it just blows me away. Um, yeah. So I say it's one of my problems because that's one of the things, because in all actuality, it's true. There is nothing that we are facing in this world that with the proper application of the word of God cannot be altered. Now, that's the rub. The proper application is what you have to literally be grown up in via the Holy Spirit. My cousin with MS. I I just shake my head at that boy. He he he's he when he goes, he's like works out and he does different things and people who have the same thing they look at him and they like, dude, how you doing this? And he'll break down what he's doing and why he's doing. But I recognize that he's walking in what God has grown him up in. Now I'll be honest with you, my belief is that he can be totally whole. Now, how did it happen, all the details? That's between him and the Holy Spirit, but I see him working through the processes. The proper application. See, that's what you have to grow up in, and God has to reveal to you. And it doesn't happen overnight, because honestly, we didn't get in our situations overnight. We didn't become who we were overnight. So now we can't undo all this mess that's been done in our lives overnight. Even in the aspect that you might have been cursed in the womb and born that way, literally in the natural, but God in the spiritual says that's not who I called you to be. Yeah, see that that's see that's what happens when God really begins to grow you up in this thing. So those who say I was born this way, I was born that way, yeah, but that still don't mean that's who God formed you to be. But see, only the Holy Spirit can teach you that, show you. And when it becomes real, 
That's a whole nother story. And you see so many people that you thought couldn't do things, do miracle things. And you know, and that's that's one of the, like a lot of the TV show that the boy, did he have no, no feet, but he could draw and doing stuff with his mouth, no hands, his feet, and how he's going around motivating people. And you look at people like that, you go, really? But we want to have excuses about why we don't do this, that, and the other. Yep. They also had a little girl. She had no no arms and no hands, but she got um, she won the um, perfect penmanship. Mm, wow. Wow. And I don't know how many people remember about the woman who had no arms. She got pregnant. DCFS was trying to come in and take her baby from her because they said, the way that she did things was unsanitary, and it would hurt the baby and everything. But the baby's now grown. Mm. She's wow. still living, and so is the baby. Wow. And I think the baby is at um, high honor status. Okay. And then you look at um, Helen Keller. She was deaf and blind. Mm-hmm. But somebody was able to come to her to get to take the time, take the time to get through to her to dig deep enough to open her up. And see, that's that's, that's the thing that we got to come to the point of again. It's going to like, it, these things take time. And we have to work and just, just again, I mean, even in the natural, you know, going to school, the regular education, those things take time. But we got to work through so much baggage and hurt and pain and just junk that's compiled on us before the Word of God can actually grow, you know, grow and produce some fruit. In God's sight, the mind of the wise is as non-efficient as that of the foolish. Both need the regeneration of the spirit. And after that, it is no easier for the wise man than for the foolish to know the word of God. Now, of course, it is quite difficult for a very foolish person to know God. But it is less difficult for the wisest among men. Not at all, because God must be known in the spirit by everyone. Their minds may be on a light, yet both their spirits are dead and hence equally foolish and deficient in divine matters. Man's natural cleverness does not help him to know God and God's truth. No doubt the wise one is easier to reason with and is quicker to understanding, but is altogether limited in the mental realm, utterly contrary to intuitive knowledge. And so even in that scenario, what happens with a lot of the wise, they're so caught up in their own wisdom and in their own knowledge. and They're, they're caught up in that, so to believe beyond that or differently, that's a challenge to them. So all this stuff is challenging. It ain't, ain't you know, it don't think that one's got it better than the other. <clears throat> Do not assume that after regeneration, the wise have advantage over the foolish and making spiritual progress. Unless they are more faithful and submissive, their better mental comprehension adds nothing to their intuitive knowledge. And that's honestly part of the problem. 
The wise have an advantage over the foolish in making spiritual progress. Part of the problem is because the wise are caught up in them, themselves, the way that they know and they do. And they've had success in life. They've had success in the things that they've done the way that they've done them. Now I've got to turn this over to something that's supposed to be better than this. It's going to be a challenge for them. And, again, we're not saying that the wisdom of the world is no good. We No, no, no. We're saying it has to be submissive to the wisdom of God. That's what we're saying. Your will, your understanding, all those things that are of you has to be With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.